Welcome to Roguecast, the official podcast of Rogues Gallery. We'll talk comics for the week, as well as whatever news is on our pop cultural radar. I'm Randy. I'm Nick. This is Dave. And now, on with the show. Episode 399 of the Roguecast, recorded January 3rd, 2023. Harry Houdini's Explosive Appendix. It's our first podcast of 2023. Yep. And we're going to begin, as we always do, talking about a, a movie from the 1980s called Midnight Run. <laughs> yes. Um, you mentioned before, uh, off mic, that we were going to do this, and uh, I was... Uh, is, it, is it only so that we can explain something later? It's There are now two things that are going to have to be explained, so yes. Okay. There's Nick made another Midnight Run reference, and I'm like, we might as well talk about Midnight Run, because it's going to come up at least once. All right. And this way, Dave won't have to be like... So you guys don't know what Midnight Run is. Yeah, that's gonna, true. Gonna, I will. I'm gonna get out in front of. I will us, be compelled to do that. I'm gonna get out in front. And give us the context. So, All right. Midnight Run, 1988. I think that sounds right. Ish. Yeah, I think it is. Um, is a movie by um, Martin Brest. Martin yeah. Brest, who did Beverly Hills Cop. Yep. And it's a it's a it's a buddy comedy that has some of those same tones. Yeah. And I I actually for me it's above Beverly Hills Cop. But and, but I don't mean to besmirch Beverly Hills Cop. I think if you like one, you should watch the other. And chances are you've seen Beverly Hills Cop, but you haven't seen Midnight Run. I agree, and I agree with your estimation that it belongs above Beverly Hills Cop. All right, it's and I know you. And I know you are a, a pretty dedicated Beverly Hills Cop. I love fan. Beverly Hills Cop, but yeah. a Midnight Run is about a um, a white collar criminal called the Duke. Yep. Who stole, uh, as played by uh, Charles Grodin. He embezzled money from the mob. He embezzled money from a mobster played by Dennis Farina. Uh, the, 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 the mobster's name is Jimmy something. Jimmy, oh my god, why can't I say I don't it? know, we, should, we, we can memorize most of the movie, but I don't remember his name. Yeah. Anyway, he's a Vegas... Ser- Serrano. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Serrano. Serrano. He's a Vegas wise guy. Yep. Um, and the guy embezzled money from him and like donated it to charity. Yep. Yeah. And now he's missing, and Serrano wants to kill him. But also... Uh, we should say, by the way, he wants to kill him because, A, he's an unlikable guy. Yes. Charles Grodin plays a great, unlikable character. Yep. If you've seen, say, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, yep. and you can think of John Candy's Del- portrayal of Dell, it's kind of that same mixture of, I would murder this guy, and I kind of like this guy. Yes, exactly the same. And he is antagonizing his former employer by, like, what is he... While he's, he's sending, like, using his money... He's, he's telling he's, him what he's doing with all his money. Yeah, yeah, he's, like, sending him postcards and stuff. I mean, he's also kept a little for himself. Yeah. Right. He's not... Completely altruistic. For sure. So, uh, so this guy gets arrested in L.A. and his bail bondsman, played by Joe Pantoliano, yep, as a just a great scumbag, Joey Pants. Joey Pants. Uh, he bails him out, not knowing who he is, because he didn't read the newspaper. And then, of course, the Duke disappears. Right. He's he uh, what needs him to get? He needs to go back to the court, or else he's going to lose the million dollar bail bond that he put. Right. Up. And he knows that basically the mob is gunning for this guy, so he needs to do the best he can to get him from so point A to point B. He goes to his best bounty hunter, who is Jack Walsh, former Chicago cop, played by Robert De Niro in one of his early comedic roles. Yeah, I think that's it was true. his first. Was it his it? first? I can't think of any before it, and uh, you know, this, I gotta say, it's his best one. It's, it's great. Just, it just he's, is he's fantastic in this. You don't think Analyze This is uh, a comedic analyze masterpiece? I've seen bits and pieces, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but, so he is a, he's a uh, burnt out former cop who was a bounty hunter, and basically he makes this deal, it's a, it's a midnight run. He, he has to go and grab this guy, bring him back before Theoretically, midnight. Theoretically, midnight run meaning like a, you know, a quick run. It well, should be A milk run, yeah. A milk run should yeah. be easy to do, only it turns out they have lots of issues, and again, Again, to go back to planes, trains, and automobiles, these two guys are stuck in any number of bad situations, like 
uh, on all these different vehicles and things like yep, that. Yep. Pl- literally planes, trains, and automobiles in, in this... As an action comedy. As an action comedy. That is a very R-rated action comedy. Oh, yeah. Is it like incredibly foul-mouthed? Walsh, is, Walsh drops the F-bomb constantly. And it's fun to kind of go back to some of those 80s ones that were just like... It's not like it's... It's, it's a little bit mean. Like, I'm not going to say that the bad guy is... He's not without some real menace. Yeah, he is. Uh, Dennis yeah. Farina is yeah. um, <laughs> both funny and also legitimately kind of scary. But one of the other important things to note here, and then we can move on, yeah. is that there is an FBI agent tracking down uh, the Duke. He wants to bring in Serrano, and the Duke is his shot at doing it. Yep. Uh, that, that, he's played by Yafet Kodo. Yep. You might remember from Alien and a, and a variety of other things. And while everyone else is wisecracking in this movie and being a smartass, Yafakoto is this straight-faced, s- internally simmering with anger, yep. uh, FBI agent named Alonzo Mosley. Alonzo Mosley. And the first time he meets Jack, Jack steals his badge and poses as him for the rest of the movie. Right. So that any time when he's a few minutes late to try to track down uh, these two guys uh, mm-hmm. on their bounty hunter run... Uh, the guy, he'll run into somebody and he'll be like, I'm Alonzo Mosley, FBI. And he'll like, oh, we just talked to a guy named Mosley. Yes. Like, and he, and his face just has the most, like, murderous eyes. The, uh, the pilot, the first pilot is like, are all you guys named Mosley? <laughs> and yes. uh, what's great is there's this uh, sort of meek FBI agent behind him who's like, Sir, that must be Walsh at your identification. And he gives him those He's, withering look. He does this slow turn, I believe, yes. Uh, and then uh, it happens <laughs> again on the on the train, and the guy's like, his real name's Mosley. And uh, frustrated, Yafa Koto yells out, I'm Mosley! Yes. So this is all in service to saying, there's a comic that came out this week. Called Mosley. Called Mosley. Yeah. And, and, and like, we, that is a name that if you've seen this movie, will be impossible you to, for you to associate with yes. anything else. Yes. You need to go see the movie. Um, uh, whatever the merits of the comic, I'm sorry to say, the movie is better. Uh, just go watch Midnight Run. Uh, do we even know where it's streaming? I was going to say, it was on Midnight Run. Do you HBO want to look Max. it up on Letterboxd? Because that shows what it's streaming it, it on. Was, it was on HBO Max, but I'm not sure if it still is. Yeah. Uh, this is so, important information we need yes. to be able to get out to the, the most, people. The most important thing is for people to know. I mean, I know we sell comics, we sell like games. It's on Peacock. Oh, okay. Peacock's getting a lot of stuff lately. Hmm. Um, oh, actually, yeah. Peacock and Stars, if you have okay. enough stars. Is that one of the things where, like, almost no matter what, you could probably buy it if you wanted? You can buy it for five bucks on Apple TV or Amazon Prime. It is totally worth owning. You should. We, we will guarantee it. I own it in Blu-ray. If for some reason you 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 buy it and you're dissatisfied, you can definitely punch Randy. Um, I was going to say something similar. You can give him the uh, what do you call it? The uh, Harry Houdini appendix punch. Yes, the appendix punch uh, that detonates appendixes. <laughs> <laughs> that was his one weakness. He had an explosive appendix, <laughs> and like the slightest uh, touch, uh, and it blew up like a car bomb in a mob movie. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> If you uh, if you if you play the fighting game that has all the magicians, like you know right. everyone from Harry Houdini on up to uh, Doug Chris Henning. Angel, <laughs> Doug Henning, <laughs> uh, Doug Henning uses magic actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's um, right. But uh, yeah, the secret move if you hit uh, if you hit Harry D- Houdini as explosive appendix, yeah, it will detonate. You win the game. Right, but the thing is, like, it also will like knock your health bar down ninety percent. Yeah, you got to be of, careful with it because Don't, of the explosion. If you're too low, you wind up with a tie. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I always play Harry Anderson. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Harry Anderson's got good moves. He's got that, uh, you can do that transformation where he turns into a judge and hits him with a giant gavel. Yeah, yeah right? it's yeah. fantastic. And he does his uh, three-card Monty distraction thing where people get distracted and then you... you and then he calls in bulls be- bull beats you. I also <laughs> like the Penn and Teller because you get two guys. So when so when Penn drops, Teller drops in. It's like the Galaga thing. <laughs> and if you play it right, you can get it at the same time. This game could exist. It could. It would probably be an add-on pack for whatever that Nolan movie was. Unlike Midnight Run, this game is not real. <laughs> what's what's the, what's the Christopher Nolan magician movie? Uh, Prestige. The Prestige. Prestige. Yeah. 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 Eh. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> three All out right. of three rogues gallery managers agree. It's eh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Want to mention we got some new games right at the end of the year. We got um, Artisans of Splendid Vale, which is a big deluxe game from Renegade. Along the lines of their My Father's Work, this is a big like. Um, Worker placement? Com- worker placement, community building. Looks very, very pretty. Yep. Uh, has that sort of Miyazaki-esque uh, uh, artwork. Yep. Uh, we got that in from Kickstarter. And also a game called Hamlet, which is a, uh, a town-building game where you're trying to build... The ultimate achievement is to build the town's church. Okay. Um, those both look very cool. We also got one of my favorites from BGG. We got Starship Captains, which... Uh, oh, yeah. This, this, lo- this game looks fun. It's... Uh, it has a Star Trek look to it. Visually, it looks like Star Trek, but it seems like it's actually like slightly more pulp. It just has some really neat visual homages yeah. to Trek style. Yeah. You, everybody has a ship uh, aboard that is their ship. You move little, you move guys around on and do do tasks with them. You're basically upgrading your ship, keeping the ship repaired, yeah. fighting pirates, and then also doing away missions. Are we somebody that back in. Yes, I think somebody asked yesterday, or, or like somebody like if it was cooperative, which makes sense. We're more Star Trek, but no, it's like you are rival ships trying to be the coolest starship yep. you can be yep. and smash your opponents. I mean, you don't actually, you don't actually shoot. You don't actually fight your opponents. All right, but you want to you want to outdo them. It'd yes. be like no one in the no one is more noble in the Federation than I. I'm yes. going to wreck you and show you how noble I am. Exactly. with all my noble missions yes. that I go on. It's yes. like Star Trek Lower Decks <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Yeah, it has that Lower Decks look because of these sort of animated Star Trek. Anyway, it was one of my favorite games I played at BGG, and I played almost forty games or fifty games, a lot of games, a lot of games. <laughs> so uh, I feel I feel justified in saying. In my expert opinion, if you were one of the uh, what do they call them, elders of the universe in Marvel, you'd yep. be the the, <laughs> the game, gamer, the gamester, the <laughs> the uh, gamester, the game, the gaming lad, the, the gaming lad. That's yes. that's the legionnaire. Yeah, I was gonna say that's the legionnaire. <laughs> What's your power? Okay. I play games. Uh, well, in fairness, we do say people have unique powers. No one else has that power. <laughs> they call him the game daddy. <laughs> the game daddy. No, that's a different. That's a, that's a team that's, Titans. That guy go. is down in a dungeon. That's <laughs> in the Sunstone universe. <laughs> or I was going to say Teen Titans Go universe. Oh man! <laughs> All right, we better move uh, on. Anyway, check games who made uh, Starship Captains. They also make uh, like code names. They make good games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also released Deal with the Devil. This one looks fun to me. It is exactly four players. No more, no less. Oh, interesting. And three of you uh, are like medieval nobles or something. Okay. And one of you is the devil, and you are trying to... Part, the devil wants to buy the soul. And so you're like, you're bidding to, to sell the devil a soul. Huh? And there's like, it's like a hidden movement game. There's an app that goes with it. Oh, huh. Finally, people have uh, you know assumed for so many years that uh, game stores are uh, in cahoots with the devil. Finally, we've got a game that actually backs that. Now you can be the devil. Yeah. Uh, this looks like a lot of fun and was way a, like on a lot of the anticipated list this year. So I've not had a chance to play it yet, but it looks like fun. Uh, we also got the Dark Souls RPG, which yep. man, I've never seen anything more casual interest in the Dark Souls RPG. Everybody who comes in here picks it up. <laughs> 
the, uh, the the joke I was making was that you just get endlessly defeated by bosses in it, and just your your character resurrects I, constantly. I don't think I ever played Dark Souls. I don't. I don't know a thing about it. I, I, I don't know a ton about it either. Legendarily hard. Legendarily hard. Um, it's one of those games that I believe kind of has does have casually good lore. It's just one of those things where you'll like find it out by finding items and gear and stuff like that. It doesn't have like any big info dumps. You just explore around in those worlds, kind of like the, the, what was the most recent game that's Dark Souls esque that one oh, that everybody's playing? Wow. Elden Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ring? yeah. Okay. That, that like that. I think you kind of like learn the lore through it. Uh, I saw like like a a, a a I was flipping to it and I saw this thing that was like a location generator yep. and it had like roll on this table and around this table and you'll get an evocative name that feels Dark Soulsy and it was like you know the you know misted temple of you know shred torn limbs and stuff like that <laughs> and like like it, it it seemed very Dark Souls and I, I felt like they probably were getting the atmosphere right. Um, I feel like it, it, you know most most RPGs start with like what is a role playing game and explore yeah. the dice. This should start with how to run a TPK. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so you want to murder your players? We got uh, Scooby Doo the board game. Oh right! Don't know too much about it. So there's a Scooby Doo yep, game, right? Just a, and, and a solely separate deal from the what they had done a Scooby Doo Scooby-Doo betrayal like at like House yeah. on the Hill. Yeah. yeah. And then we got Looney Tunes Mayhem, which appears to be sort of like the Disney Unmatched. battle game and Unmatched. It's basically Looney Tunes. I think the base game comes with what Bugs, Daffy, Elmer Fudd, and somebody else. And, and you find out if Tasmanian Devil can beat Marvin Martian. It's probably Tasmanian. It's Devil. Tweety. Oh, is it Tweety? Okay. Or I don't know. And then the other pack is I think uh, Tweety, Sylvester, uh, and Wally, and uh, okay. uh, Roadrunner. I actually. assume that uh, like uh, Granny is actually one of the like the toughest characters, and just like beat the holy hell out of you with her umbrella. She shows up at the end and punches you in your appendix. <laughs> I think it's Taz. Taz is in the, the that original. That makes sense. Yeah. You have been seduced by Lola Bunny. Um, we got Enola Holmes, Finder of Lost Souls, as a board game based on Enola Holmes, mm-hmm. which I guess is a I'm going to guess is a mystery finding game. I would imagine. And then we got a game called Shadowgate: Living Castle. This is based on a video game I've never heard of. Hmm. But it looked like a cool game. It's like you're you're building characters and you're going into like this this castle. It's a sort of a fantasy D and D type. Okay. Um, we do not have much in the way of news this week. Right, I think probably just end of the year, uh, you know, week of Christmas and New Year's and stuff. Uh, not a lot of movies, comic book people putting out like big announcements. So right. the handful of things that we did that were mentioned, we're going to go ahead and uh, bump to next week, I think, and then we'll just maybe have a little bit more. Oh God, I remember this video game now. <laughs> so we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come talk about comics for the week. Like an old. We were talking comics week of Wednesday, January fourth, and uh, it's kind of a. Is it right? This is kind of a big Marvel week, or at least yeah, as, as far as so our overall, what we liked overall. It's a lighter week for lighter, much lighter week for DC. Right. This um, is just one of those. I think another year end artifact. It's just just tumbled out that they just don't have a lot of releases this week. For me, this turned out to be a pretty good week. I liked everything I read this week. Yep. Um, and DC did have a few notable ones. So, so the, well, the notable thing from DC is that they've got uh, Batman one thirty one. Which is Chip Zdarsky starting his new story arc? New story arc. There's also, but like, there's also an issue of Dark Knights of Steel, Dark Knights of Steel which has a big uh, thing in it. Because yep. it's the or oh, it's not the penultimate. I thought it were getting close, but no, twelve issues. Yep, twelve, 12 issues. issues. Um, but Marvel has uh, several number ones, I think, or at least yeah. at least two. Uh, they have 
Scarlet Witch number one. This is by Steve Orlando and Sarah Pacelli doing just fantastic art. Yep, Sarah Pacelli, you might remember from, what, the early days of Miles Morales, yep, right? Yep, So, like, uh, if, you, if you think about it, like, she she's an underrated artist who is really talented and was there for the creation of one of the handful of heroes who has, like, really stuck around, you know? So, but here's the thing. As I look through this, I really like this art. Sarah Pacelli's trying a different style. Like, this looks more stylized than not. Because what she had done was sort of a... Kind of like what David Marquez was doing, a very solid, pretty art style. This is more stylized, and I like it better. This reminds me a lot of what uh, James Robinson's Scarlet Witch was. Yeah. You know, it didn't feel that close to it to me. Just tone-wise. Did it? I felt like this had more humor in it than his. I I agree with that. So, what's, what's, what's going on here is that she has opened a magic emporium. Along with her assistant Darcy, which I love bringing Darcy into the MC. That was actually one of the main things that I thought was fun about it. You know, uh, Darcy from the, of course, from the Thor movies, and what she was also in um, Wandavision. And also, I'm not sure if Quicksilver is a regular or if he's just in this issue. He's great, but I he's, feel like she does a great job with him. You know, you know how like Quicksilver is a d bag. Yeah, uh, he's like, um, like he's a fun kind of bit of fly in the ointment, and, and you know, that's her, that's her brother, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I, I think he should be a recurring guest, if nothing else, just to kind of spice things up. Yeah. So, so Scarlet Witch has created a <laughs> sort of a a spiritual mercantile where people can get help with small things, and then she's created the last door, a spell that basically people are at their lowest, those with nowhere to turn, and they go through that door. They just find the door and they go through it, and she helps them. It's and, it's almost like the kind of hook that could have been on like something like Angel. Yeah, yeah, it's like a Doctor Who kind of thing. But yeah, if I'm so if I, the uh, spiritual mercantile or whatever is a, it's kind of a weird way to put it. But basically, there's a she has her bookshop, which kind of does casual help, and then within the bookshop is this magical door that occasionally somebody's going like to walk tachi. through. It's not just a bookshop. Oh, okay, but, but yeah, it's like tinctures. Right, it is like the magic shop in Buffy. Yes. yes. What yeah. was that place called? I don't know the magic shop. I don't know. Uh, it was I think it's a magic box, wasn't it? I sure, know. I don't know. Um, anyway, um, but periodically somebody's going to walk through this magical port door that she put a lot of magic into, yep. and it's going to be somebody who is like really needs something. So, like in other words, you won't have to like uh, I think super question their motives. Although I suspect that will come up at some point, um, uh, because literally the mad they won't be drawn through it unless they have a serious problem that she can help with. And uh, and that that will be the sort of uh, the hook of the comic. It's a good hook. It's yeah. a it's a good baseline. That's pretty it's, solid. It's a good premise. And then the first case, though the case of the week, I don't want to say who it is, but they use a D list villain that I have a sort of a fondness for. <laughs> I think yeah. I first encountered him in the Marvel Universe. I don't know how many stories I've actually read with him in yeah. it. Do you mean the official handbook of the Marvel Universe yes. or the broad Marvel Universe no, that the, covers everything? The official handbook the of the Marvel Universe. A hot okay. moose. Yeah, a hot moose. Um, and uh, and I thought the, the story here was good. I, I liked the interpretation. And I, it was a fun story. I like the pacing. I like that it yeah. opens with sort of a James Bondian action sequence. We get character development and then a, a secondary case. It just, it yep. kind of moved at a nice clip. And it... It was like it, a good pilot. It was a really good pilot. Yeah. And I think uh, Steve Orlando has a good handle on Wanda. Here's a question. Most people, they do best know Wanda as the person who went evil. Yeah. Full, full evil and multiverse of madness. Right. And this is like, you know, she's had those similar types of turns in the comic. Maybe not usually quite at that level. Well, I mean, she, arguably, she like, shot has, the cliffside on Wonder Man. And um, she also... She did erase... Well, that was right. She, she did erase evil. all mutants. And she did erase all mutants. Yep. 
But that was like, in a way, that was kind of like, that was like sort of done and then sort of undone. It's but like, a long but like, time. the movie like showed her like flying, like flying around killing people. Yeah. She, she kind of like isn't as demonstrative about it and, and usually in the comics, I feel like. Well, the entire yeah. X-Men, uh, all the kids were being taught that she was like a pariah and like the boogeyman. Sure, sure. Uh, but here's so here's my question: Will people? Do you think people who know her as Evil Wanda from the movies are they going to enjoy this redemption arc, Wanda? Actually, it's not even like redemption arc. She's just like she is like I'm kind of atoning with this. She does briefly mention it. Yeah, she's like I'm trying to like make up for some of the what I've done in the world. I think I like I think people will dig it pretty well. Yeah, like I if they too. liked. Basically, prior to that, the Wanda that they knew, uh, who's the actress, um, Elizabeth Olsen, Elizabeth yeah. Olsen. Who was like pretty pretty wholesome, Wanda? Uh, this is you know almost more like just as as it as it would be through her. I feel yeah. if you enjoyed WandaVision, uh, yeah, for this sure. is going to be yeah. right up. This is eye. definitely nodding to WandaVision. Having you know having uh, Darcy in there. A small thing I want to compliment uh, the uh, the colorist on. I have no idea who the colorist was. Uh, it's just that they are coloring Wanda with a sort of like you said, Randy, slightly darker uh, complexion, like a little more olive t- tone yeah. to to if, if, uh, reference her Romani background. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's you know been referenced since forever, but yep. it's it's kind of rare that she's been drawn to really look that like that. I mean, um, even Quicksilver has the same coloring. Oh, I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's cool. Yeah, that that is a nice nice touch. Good job, Marvel. Uh, stick with it, obviously. Yep. <laughs> uh, the other number one from Marvel this week is uh, Joe Fixit. Number one. This is Peter David. He has done. Uh, Symbiote Spider-Man and there's another one too. Um, Genesville, the Captain Marvel Genesville. Yeah, Genesville. And I feel like there's another. I feel like another. He's the Maestro. Know, like, Maestro. Yeah. He's doing his greatest hits. He's going back and doing stories of his greatest hits. I think that uh, yeah, like um, Peter David because he's not in the he's not a big name kind of these days. But I don't know if people know, but like he was like the biggest Hulk writer of like the eighties and nineties. Yep. He he basically was the one who went back to the Great Hulk. Yep. He did Joe Fix It, which was like. Hulk as mob enforcer at the at casinos, yep. like to play around and then like play around with the kind of darker side of Hulk, and he did like lots of different incarnations, including like the Professor Hulk. He created the Maestro. He's like the Hulk writer. Yep. Yeah. And um and and so yeah, but you know these days. But he's, also keep in mind, un- among that he also did a, a, a much beloved run on Spider Man. He did Spider Man twenty ninety nine, Genesis X Factor, which he's like, gone back huge. to that too. Like he he. But he had a huge influence on yep. Marvel in the eighties and nineties, and he hasn't been as prominent lately. But Marvel's been doing some of these kind of uh, retro projects where he, you know, fills in some lost stories. And this looks like a pretty good one. It actually, uh, you know, people might have Did seen. Did we say the, what it was? Uh, it's called Joe Fix It. Yes, and it is that uh, it is that Gray Hulk in the. If you've ever seen a picture of this, he looks pretty cool. He's like mobbed up in a, like a pinstripe suit and hat. Yep, he looks all dapper, but also like he would like throw you through a, a building and laugh at you, and he would. <laughs> so he is um, uh, canonically he is the bodyguard of uh, Mike Baron or Mike Berengetti, I think is his name Mr. Berengetti, who yeah Michael Berengetti, who runs okay. the Coliseum Casino which is a Roman themed very much a uh, Caesar's Palace kind of right. casino and uh, and so in this story this is narrated by Peter Parker Spider Man who has come to Las Vegas yep uh, and has had run ins with the Grey Hulk he knows that that. Mr. Fix or the Mr. Fix it is the Hulk, right? It's it's not super common knowledge. No. Like we, the readers, of course, know, but like people in the world aren't like, why is Hulk working for a casino? They well, just think there's this tough 
big gray dude. This is an unreveal. This is a new story that he's telling that's back in that tour, in that story, and it has Kingpin coming to Vegas to try and muscle out uh, Baron Jetty's operation, which is not going to go great because he doesn't realize that he's working with the Hulk. Yeah, I mean, long story short, this is going to put... Uh, uh, Joe Fixit versus the Kingpin. Yep, that's that's going to be the premise, which what, is a good premise. That's a good premise, and it's a good first issue, I thought. Um, Boom has a book called Mosley, as we might have mentioned. Uh, Rainer, we're not going to like uh, just just do a quick check in on those. I thought we do the first issues first. All right, you do what you want. All right, <laughs> uh, the first issues them, and then we'll get to it. All right, we'll I just thought it. we were going to like have a little bit of Marvel fun, and we're going to we're going to jump around a bit. All right. Uh, Mosley has nothing to do with Midnight Run, <laughs> right? But you should go see Midnight Run, right? That's the. If um, there's one lesson we wish to impart with this podcast, it's go see Midnight Run. This is written by Rob Guillory, who did uh, Chew the and uh, and the art on Chew, and then wrote wrote and drew Farmhand. Yep, yep. And who was uh, had one of the really fun signings that we did in the store for for Chew when that first graphic novel hit. And the art is by Sam Lotfi, who is a uh, Austin local guy. Yep, he's done a variety of things. This is about a uh, a guy who's sort of a he's a, he's a janitor I think, um, and, or maybe he's, he's something else. He's he's got a job. When I made the sign for it, I think they said janitor, but like well, then I when, think he was like a spy or some or something because he starts out. It starts out with a story of like he's leaving his wife and kid for a to year. go for a year to go do something, and what it turns out it is is he's living in this like government uh, neighborhood with nobody else except a learning machine, a robot. That he just sort of spends a year telling it everything he knew and, and basically, like, making it more human. And then we jump ahead uh, to I don't know how far, and he's a janitor in this future where basically robots are running everything. And his life is pretty much, like... Uh, his shit. life is terrible. But, every, like, the robots are turning humanity into, like, a utopia. Uh, they, are, they are basically trying to... You know, they've solved the climate issues, they're trying to end hunger and war, they're, they're basically trying to do the, you know, computers can run things rather than humans, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, it's generally seems to be a good thing, except that he is not happy, and uh, he thinks that basically people have been turned into sort of sheep, and um, it gets weird from there. That definitely won't happen. People will never be sheep uh, no. about their technology. No. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, anyway, it's a really interesting premise. I, I liked it quite a bit. The ending takes it in a completely different direction, yeah. so I'm curious to see where it's going to go. But as a setup, I really liked it. Yeah. Um, speaking of interesting setups, Dark Horse has Spy Superb. This is actually my favorite thing this week. Really? I really enjoyed it. So this it. is by Matt Kent with either his wife or his daughter, maybe? Uh, Charlene doing colors? Yep. He writes and draws it. Um, Nick, why don't you talk about Spy well, Superb? It's kind of about this failed idea of like a James Bondian type character uh, that is put forth by an agency that uh, kind of goes awry and it's, so it's just, one of those like you know that uh, people know that sort of fan theory where James Bond is just a name and different people yeah. replace him over yeah. the years this kind of does a sort of dryly humorous spin on that well it's like the man with one red shoe was yeah. that the, I, I've never seen that oh uh, with Tom Hanks and Dabney uh, Coleman that movie was like 30 years ago it's another one you guys should see like Midnight Run alright I don't know about that it's really really uh, well, good it's so, very so, um it's Jimmy Lee Curtis uh, but um uh, yeah how would you say what, what is their premise here that's a little different from the Bond one 
Uh, they, they like use people who are like they basically people use people don't who don't know that they're spies. Yes. Right. Just kind of random people. The the spy superb is a myth. It's this notion yep. of like this super spy, this this amazing super spy, but in fact he's been dead since World War Two. There's yep. a very funny scene in it yes. early yeah. on where the spy superb like is, is like has some explosives he's trying to defuse or something, and they just blow up and just blow him to pieces. And, and there's two bad guys who are watching and they're like I think oh. they're good guys. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I, thought, guys. I thought they were bad guys. <laughs> I thought they were like, guys. oh man, that must have been some like sort of uh, it, like wheels improvised. Within, like, <laughs> wheels within wheels. They're like he must have done that to like make people think he was dead. Uh, and then yeah, yeah the, the assumption, a clever distraction. <laughs> yeah, and, and that that began with like the legend that he's always been around. Yeah, and then it's just a bunch of nobodies that don't even know they're spies until the newest one, uh, who is a guy I think you'd want to strangle. Uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. If you ever been, had talked to someone who's uh, very self-involved yes. and kind of just keeps going on and maybe making suggestions about how you could improve your life, yeah, and like about the uh, kind of like book the, the, the book that they're writing that yep. they're perpetually on chapter one, and, yep. and and it's like it sounds dopey anyway, but like. Um, There's a lot of fun here. I suppose it's kind of... Uh, he is ostensibly the lead character. Yes. He and he's kind of watchably annoying, uh, <laughs> yeah. as, as I guess yeah, I'd say. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but I loved it. I, I love Matt Ken's artwork. What, what is it that they glom onto him for? Like, the, like I, I didn't get to finish the whole thing. So so they, well, they've they, got he's this... Just, well, he's, 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 like, he's one of their candidates, yeah. He is the latest to to fill the role of yeah, the spy superb. Uh, I know they need they need one in a pinch. They need, they need somebody a dupe to, to pick up a phone. Is yeah, case. essentially, and he gets tapped for it. Right. He doesn't know. And a bunch of people are watching him uh, because right. he's supposed to be the spy superb. Yes. Right. And I believe he's going to have that, that little bit of the... The inadvertent, like, oh, I accidentally outwitted them with my stupidity. Yes. Um, it's, um, it was dubbed uh, in the, uh, like, the elevator pitch for it, I think, was John Wick meets Wes Anderson. Just yeah. meant to be that sort of, you know, the quirky Wes Anderson style and, you know, meets spy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, people will know that uh, we have done, uh, we have our Tom Taylor Tuesdays. Yes. We have most recently created the Jed McKay Tuesday. Yes. When there are two books from a writer we really like that come out the same week, yeah. two or more. Well, we have another one. We're working, we're still we're workshopping. workshopping this because his name doesn't lend itself as well. Uh, it is Ryan North, and I believe the, the possibilities are North Star Tuesday. Uh, and, yep. And uh, uh, Brian Ryan. Brian Ryan Tuesday. Brian Ryan Tuesday. I like the rhyming, so. Yeah, that, we, that might be the way to go with this so, one. So, uh,. Um, the third issue of two books we've Although, all ironically, enjoyed. these are books that won't actually be out until Wednesday. Right. But we talk about them on Tuesdays. We talk about them on Tuesdays, yeah. though. Um, Ryan North, by the way, made his name on the Squirrel Girl comic. Yep, yep. And I kind of thought he was always going to be a little bit of this kind of silly, goofy guy. And not not that that's not a bad role. I like Squirrel Girl. I was going to say, did, we ever, did any of us ever actually read Squirrel Girl to its completion? Do we know if it kept that... Always camping it. I don't know. I there is no a idea. scene in this week's Secret Invasion, which is one of the books we're about to talk about, that flashes back to some a Squirrel Girl sequence with um, Iron Man, and it sounds kind of serious. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, maybe. I, like, I think they always kept it lighthearted because they wanted it to be an all ages book. Um, but like you know, uh, Star Trek Prodigy is an all ages show, but just hit a fairly I, serious season finale. I'd be curious to check it out, actually, because. Well, it was a little too lighthearted for me overall, so I will leave it to you, Nick, to investigate. Yeah. But he is now. You know, he came from dinosaur comics, right? That was the first thing he did. Was that dinosaur comics? It's literally called dinosaur yep. comics. It was just two dinosaurs talking to each other. Yeah. Not the current dinosaur one, but the well, it was like it was basically goofy stuff. Like this okay. thing. But anyway, 
He has two issues this week. He has Fantastic Four number three and Secret Invasion number three. And I think both these books are, are quite good. Yeah, they are. I would agree. Uh, Secret Fantastic Invasion Four has uh, maybe been my kind of favorite new Marvel book this year. And, and that's been a surprise because... Last year. Uh, of last year, yeah. Because um, this year really is only one. Well, there's only one week. So far, it's the best. So far, it's the best. Um, <laughs> by my standards of what has come out today. Yeah, I was going to say you're, that's a little bit thing no. crazy. Um, and, you know, there, there have only been two issues the previous uh, year, but it was like... Um, I, I have honestly just not had any expectations of the Fantastic Four for like 20 years or something like that. Dan Slott has had... Uh, his... It just hasn't been... They haven't hit whatever I was looking for. And it turns out the kind of Astro City-esque character-focused ones that uh, Ryan North is doing is what I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, this issue is the Human Torch. Yep. Uh, I thought his take on it was fun. I thought the use of a very obscure villain was fun. Yep. Um, and the... Um, uh, Johnny, he's, he's got a good, uh, I think, handle on Johnny as both... Uh, do, there's a th- scene early on that Nick was bringing up when I was talking to him earlier, yep. and uh, where Johnny, in his narration, is talking about... Like, he's dealing with these tornado problems yep. uh, when it begins. And he talks, in his narration, he's talking about how he once saw Reed working on some experiment that yeah. involved tornadoes, and he asked him one question about it, and Reed gave him, like, a ten-minute, like, lecture on tornadoes. Yeah. Now, Johnny is a doofus. We all know that. Yep. Um, but he absorbed enough of that, uh, like, that he's not he's not just a dunce, right? Yeah. And he absorbed enough that he is actually able to do this cool, like, using his powers to create, like, you know, an updraft with the heat and stuff like that and essentially cancel out the the warm air, cool air things that make tor- tornadoes. Yeah. And, and he pulls it off. And I was like, that's cool. I want Johnny to be... Uh, a doofus enough to be the likable doofus that we know he is, yep. but smart enough that he's just not that that he could pull off something like that. He can be like, "Oh right, that time Reed said this. Let's try it." He's yeah. the, he's the people person of the FF. He can uh, kind of sure be the everyman. Yeah, they they what they um. Well, I guess I don't want to say what thematically no. this is about, but it does involve Johnny having to take kind of like while everybody while the FF is kind of shut down. And it seems like basically by the end of this first arc, I think the FF will be reinstated. So this right. isn't, uh, we were kind of likening it to the rather drawn-out storyline going on in Spider-Man right now with a mystery about why, why Pete is being a D-bag. Right. Um, this, I think, is going to, A, has been very satisfying solo issues, and B, I think, is going to bring the team together in about one issue. Yep. Um... But in the meantime, there has been this sort of mystery of something that happened at the Baxter building. And so all the FF are kind of off on their own right now. And this is a this is what's happening with Johnny. And he's got to, like, take a sort of uh, normal-type job just to uh, kind of stay under the radar. and Have a secret identity. Yep, have a secret identity. Um, but, yeah, it was another good time. Yeah. Uh, and then Secret Invasion continues to tell the story of Maria Hill... Trying to keep the lid on a uh, scroll invasion going on. This issue is all her and Iron Man basically chatting. It's essentially a, a, like largely a conversation at gunpoint. Yeah. Um, there, there is stuff leading up to it, including I thought some really great artwork. I, I feel like this is a different artist than some of the other earlier ones, and I like those art too. But I, I just this feel, felt different to me. That's the 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 parachute jump she does early on, yeah. or whatever you call that. Yeah. Um, that giant splash like, page. That kind of halo jump. And that looks dope. It was it was she, like Maria Hill looked cooler than I'd seen her in a long time in this, and and yeah, they're they're you know they, there's kind of wheels within wheels and make in trying to uh, suss out the scrolls. They've got their sort of test that's a little bit like John Carpenter's The Thing, that, where they can test scroll blood like that. But there's w- ways that it potentially can be beat, 
And Iron Man has a big reveal for her in this one uh, that that involves interactions with the scrolls. That I, I guess I don't want to say what it is because it's pretty interesting to see play out. Yeah, uh, and weirdly does involve Squirrel Girl. Yeah, um, yeah. she as a thing. Uh, what I liked about this one, this is another. This kind of reminds me of the same thing I liked about how he dealt with Johnny, which is to say he knows that Stark is kind of broadly portrayed as like he's an egotist who you know sometimes does live up to his ego, but he's an egotist and um, but but like I wanted what this shows is that Stark has a kind of um, he does want to grow as a person in ways. And that's kind of central to what some of the reveals that happen in it is Stark trying to grow as a person in an unexpected way. Yeah. And and I thought it led to some cool story beats and <laughs> an ending that I think, Man, the ending, I think made all, us all kind of all, laugh. Every one of us like, wow, that ending. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good ending. Yeah. Um, want to mention uh, Shang-Chi, Master of the Ten Rings, which is a one-shot that sort of wraps up Jinlin Wang's like, three miniseries he's done of, of Shang-Chi. This is like the bow on it. Yeah, and sort of ties a bow up. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, I caught up on Star Trek, the new Star Trek book. Uh, Red issues in two and three, which three comes out this week. This is the one that's set after... After what? Deep Space Nine, after, after Deep Voyager, Space after Nine. everything. But I guess, is it before, say, Picard? I think is? it's before Picard. Yeah. It's more like at the tail end of what had been, like, the, the Trek TV-verse. So it's got a, um, basically, uh, Cisco. Is uh, is has assembled a, a crew to deal with a, a someone who's murdering godlike aliens. They've got a ship called the Theseus. Okay, um, and, it, and and the crew is like a best of. So like Beverly Crusher is there is the doctor, and uh, uh, Jake Cisco is on board because because Ben Cisco's there. Yep. Uh, this issue f- focuses on Ben. Did you say that uh, that that old man Scotty, who you know who got plunged into the future? Old and man it's, Scotty is engineered. Tom Paris is the pilot. Yep. Um, and. Uh, but this uh, this issue brings in a uh, a familiar face from uh, from Star Trek. Yep, and um, does a uh, is doing a lot of with the one of the new characters, a Vulcan character. Uh, I've, I've read three issues of this. Each issue is really interesting. I was worried the godlike aliens thing was going to be too like superhero-y, or that yeah. the best of Star Trek was also going to be a little bit too like ah, you can only do this in the comic. Right. But no, it it feels like a good Star Trek story. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really enjoying it. Um, beyond that, uh, for me, there was a Spider-Man number four, which continues slots like finishing up the uh, Edge of Spider-Verse thing. I think that's that's it. Did you have anything else, Nick? Did we mention Dark Knights of Steel? We mentioned Dark Knights oh, okay, of Steel. Okay, cool. Sorry, missed it. Uh, and we mentioned no, Zdarsky's new arc on Batman. We did. Okay, cool. No, that's all. All right. Um, yeah, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about our best movies of 2022, and then also a uh, video game and some TV. All right. Uh, as always, this podcast is not just about comics. It's also about Midnight Run. Uh, <laughs> yes. But we do talk about movies and TV a fair amount. So we figured, uh, while y'all don't have your top comics for the year done yet, no, um, that we all had our top movies list. Uh, Nick Nick posted this on Facebook, and that made me like, oh. I mean, I you did yours like a couple, like, I, I, couple, like before look, Let's be honest. January. I do all mine throughout the year. I'm already working on my best of I have to wait to the very end, because they've put out movies like on December 25th and December like 30th. But I didn't see any of those. And then I'm like, but I have to wait. But some of those like, might be really is like evaluating stuff as it comes out, and like it's like I'm it's on the list. Around, yes. It's like, yeah. for him, it's a constant list that is being updated and scrutinized. Yes. And he's just like, I'm, I'm sure if something amazing 
were to come out at the end of the year, you'd say, okay. It would. I mean, Violent it, Night jumped into there. my top ten, which yeah. I saw that at the go. very end of the year. Uh, so, yes, we're going to run down our top ten movies of the year, and then we're going to talk about them. Okay. Uh, Nick, what? give us your top ten. All right. So, uh, at number ten is Wakanda Forever. Uh, number nine, Top Gun Maverick. Number eight, Confess Fletch. Mm-hmm. Number seven, The Sea Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, six, Everywhere, ev- Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Mm-hmm. Five is Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, four is The Menu. Uh, three is Glass Onion. Two is Barbarian. And number one is Jordan Peele's Nope. Interesting. You and I have a lot of the same movies on our list, yeah. but not in the same order. So mine, uh, number ten is Prey. Mm-hmm. Number nine is Enola Holmes 2, which honestly I'd probably swap out with Confess Fletch. Which is at my 12 spot, and I'd probably swap I mean, Enola Holmes is really, really good. It is though. really good, but I, Fletch, I just haven't had a chance to yeah. watch. Uh, Enola Holmes is benefiting from recency. Yeah. Uh, Violent Night is number eight. Number seven is Weird. Um, the, Al, the Weird Al show. Maybe. Oh, right, and I never saw that. Oh, man, it's great. Uh, number six is Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Number five is RRR, the uh, <laughs> Indian movie. Yeah. Uh, number four is Sea Beast. Number three is Barbarian. Number two is Glass Onion. Uh, number one is Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's funny because our top our, our top four a lot of the same movies yeah. and they're just slightly out of order. Uh, Dave, what about you? Um, let's see. Um, so, oh, by the way, did we say that we're like I think we're look all looking at the app Letterbox. Yes, we all use Letterbox, which has become a pretty big thing. I, like in any film nerd group that I'm in, and I'm in one or two of those on Facebook. People are just constantly using this because basically you can list all your stuff, and it's like IMDb. Yeah, and you can like uh, you know infinitely kind of. Tweak the lists, put it in order by directors, put it in order by your favorites from 1983, whatever you yeah. want. Uh, anyway, so my list goes uh, number, uh, I think this is right, uh, uh, 10, Unbearable Weight of uh, Massive Talent. Just let me see that. Um, nine, uh, Top Gun Maverick. Uh, eight, Thor Love and Thunder. Some of these are tied. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, um, uh, let's. Are, are we counting Werewolf by Night? I don't think like she's not worth Alright, and that's, that's why I was like sort of mentally moving stuff around. I, uh, I guess this is weird to put on there because I didn't really like this movie, but uh, but I had enough craft that I liked some elements. But the Batman <laughs> is, is on there. <laughs> I've it's, seen it make less. I tied wow. it to say it's, it's tied for me with, I guess, Thor, Love, and Thunder um, uh, up there, which wow. which I, I like both of them all right. I, I'd say Thor, Love, and Thunder better, but, but marginally. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Wakanda Forever. Um, Glass Onion, Nope, um, Barbarian, and Unbearable, or not, not, not Unbearable, not, not, Everything Everywhere All at Once. So, um, although I think Barbarian would actually be my personal favorite just because that was yeah, like, I get that. Just, just sort of more up my alley as a horror nerd. Well, it's interesting because like our tops are, are like, we all put Barbarian very high up. Now, I, it was just one of the best movie-going experiences, because uh, I knew yeah. nothing. I mean, I, I knew, like, the barest. Yeah, and same. it was such an exciting uh, and, and in movie. that spirit, if you haven't... If, if, I don't want to say, talk too much about it right now. We talked about If you want to hear it, you can go back a few podcasts. We talked about it. But I think we would all recommend... People should watch this on HBO oh, Max. It's on HBO Max right now. Barbarian? Yes. But it is it is a horror movie. Right, and it's and it's got some. I'm going to say some unpleasantries in it. Yeah. There's some violence and gore and stuff like that. But it is not like 
like a wildly gory movie, but there are, there are times it is meant to make you go ick, but it's kind of in that fun way where you should maybe be a little bit half laughing even as you're going, like, you're like, oh my god, that's and messed it, up. And if you ever thought that Justin Long was a one-note person, <laughs> you should watch this, because yeah. he is I not. Mean, he might be... Well, no, he's better. No, 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 I think he's good. I just think that, like, he's he seems to be best at playing kind of weasels. It's true. Um... The Apple guy, but um, uh, but uh, his uh, arrival in this is surreal. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it is just the way that that his character is introduced, yeah. uh, and, and sort of where it, what, what it follows is is su- utterly surreal. And it's a fun movie to watch and to try and guess where it's going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and to like and also to just go ahead and let yourself go for the ride. I'm yep. very um, excited to see what that director does next. Just as a reminder, if people are thinking that this is a movie about Conan the Barbarian or something like that, Barbarian is a horror movie where uh, that's about a woman who goes to an Airbnb, and it turns out oh it's been double booked. There's already somebody there. Oh, does she want to stay there? It's such a nasty. Yeah, they're already giving away more than I want to give away. It's a bad neighborhood around there. What? That's, that's, that's more than you go. That is the absolute most bare bones. Be premise. like me. Just press play. I didn't know anything <laughs> going in. You don't need to know anything going in. Just go see it. All right, let me finish what I'm saying. Uh, she, she, You're going to spoil things. No, no, I'm not. I, I'm not. You, you think I'm going somewhere? I'm not. She just has. To, I'm just saying she has to decide whether she wants to uh, stay at this place where this. She's like, I don't know if I can trust this guy or go someplace else. Yep. There we go. All right, pipe down. I didn't know. I didn't even know that going in. I was happy not to know. It. <laughs> that was that's the that's that the was in the trailer. That was in the teaser trailer. I didn't even see the trailer. All right. Well, you're such a man. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying that to me was my my perfect perfect movie going experience. Not, I I hadn't even heard of it, and yeah. then everybody I knew started talking about Barbarian, and I'm like, oh, I guess I should go see this. Yeah. And I knew nothing, and it was great. Yeah. So go go. Everyone should watch it on HBO Max, unless. You don't do horror, in which case I don't know. Yeah, if you don't do horror at all, um, then you're probably not going to like it. Uh, Also on all our lists, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yep. Yep. Um, This is is the one that was Michelle Yeoh's kind of big... not uh, serious. It's a drama, but it's also a comedy, and it's also yeah. this wild. You don't know what it is kind Crazy of movie. Sci-fi, yeah, yeah. It's like a multiverse kind of movie, yep. but it's like a. It's it's a little bit of an examination of a sort of a of a life of a woman who's like uh, she's like a middle aged woman with uh, difficulties with her kids and husband and it, finances. I think at its core, it's a mother daughter movie. It, it, is. it is. It is. But also like Kihei Kwan who played yeah. um, Short Round. Short Round get his gets his sort of comeback here. Yep. And uh, and he um, he definitely like uh, did he get awards or they, have they done awards yet? Not because I know he's he's probably in the running for some things. Should probably. be yeah. But it's 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 a kind of like uh, a way to like look at like sort of relationships and all that stuff lends through the this sort of wild multiversal look at the character the, the people as they exist in like different worlds. Some of them extremely surreal and and also very funny. Yes, yeah. uh, I was looking at the cast because in addition her. The woman who plays her daughter, yeah, she's is, uh, is notable, and she's in a bunch of stuff. I'm trying to think what else I've seen her in. Um, what was her? What else has she been in? Um, but this is by is it the the so it's Daniel Scheinert and Dan, Dan, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, the Daniels, who have done something else. I don't remember what it is now. Uh, Stephanie Shu is the name of the uh, the girl who plays the daughter. Oh, she was also in Shang-Chi. Okay. Uh, among other things. She, did she play his sister? Uh, I think she played his, her, his, his sister. And I thought she was in something else notable, but uh, I'm not seeing it now. Oh, she's in some TV stuff. Uh, these are the guys that did Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man. So they do weird stuff. Yeah. They're very kind um, of offbeat. Jamie Lee Curtis is in this, and she's great. Yep. 
This is an A24 movie, so it's got like a, like sort of a little bit of an art house vibe, but it's a it's a very approachable art house vibe. You're not yeah. going to be uh, like, oh, what do the symbols? What does the symbolism mean? Even Although you dumb, can, dumb, even though dumb dumb meat like me, <laughs> you also get uh, the wonderful James Hong. Yep, always good. Um. The other one, Nick, was Glass, did Glass Onion wind, wind up in your He's top ten? Uh, it was number three. Okay. It uh, is a delightful Did it wind up film. in your top ten, Dave? It is in my top ten, but it's just a little It's a little higher up, or it's a little farther back, I guess. Glass Onion, I thought, was a, this is the second Knives Out. Right, um, Benoit Blanc. Benoit yeah. Blanc mystery. mystery. Yep. And uh, there's some debate about whether it's better than the first. I don't think it is, but I think it's really good. I think it's close. It's closer than I thought it was going to be. To me, to me, there's a little bit of a gap. Uh, I, I think that the particular over the topness as it in a, of its sort of finale was a bit bigger than the Knives Out stuff, and I and I liked the somewhat quieter uh, Knives Out thing. Even though Knives Out was itself kind of like you know had some over the top stuff. I think yeah. I had so much fun in the opening. 15 minutes where mm. they're all trying to uh, open, the open the box and working yeah. together. You know what's weird is I have a thing like sometimes it, this is a, like a mystery movie thing and stuff too. Uh, it's that same need to like contextualize everything that I've got. When a movie like throws a lot of stuff at me like a lot of characters mm-hmm. I'm sort of just bewildered for a little while and my brain is taking a little while to process it. Wow. Yeah. And, and so sometimes like that, so that stuff can throw me off too. I think I like that Knives Out started with just the housekeeper and Christopher Plummer's character yeah. and a very simple situation, whereas this was jump cutting between like four or five different people that all have, were sent. And it, it is an ingenious scene. They were also they have all been sent this like puzzle box to solve, and uh, you know ultimately you'll find out who sent it, and it all reveals something about who they are as mm-hmm. they're doing it. But it was just like, for me, it felt like a lot to take in. Shut up. So, so honestly, so did everything, everywhere, all at once had the same effect. I, I was, was going like, to say. I was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit um, uh, overwhelmed, I uh, guess I'd say. The oh, woman good. who played Dave Bautista's mom just oh, she's cracked great. me the heck she's up. Um, <laughs> I actually... What? Dave, um, did you feel that way about Nope? Speaking of another one, it's not quite on my list. It's like number 11 on my list. Because um, I felt like Nope, Nope took me a while to get into. Um, I think because um, it, it wasn't like I, I think it took me a little while to figure out like exactly what was happening and what was what the, where, you know well, who everybody was. Juke the monkey thing through me. Yeah, right. I think though because that was there's something about it being paced a little slower. Yeah, uh, that you know maybe that my brain is just is processing it fine, and I'm like, well, I don't know what that is. I'll file it away for later, and we'll see how this can all connect yeah. up. Um, and you think it, that Jordan Peele expectations let you like like know like okay that's just a thing with Jordan Peele movies. Well, like I, I assumed that all of these were by talented filmmakers, and I was like, oh, I know this will all pay off. But it's literally, I think, like the editing and, and pacing of it. So his was kind of a little more relaxed, whereas Everything Everywhere All at Once and Glass Onion both are kind of frenetic. Yeah, I get that. Um, so, so I think for me that was all it is. That's obviously just personal preference. Now, I, Nick, I you said Nope was like your favorite Jordan Peele movie. Yeah, movie. it is. Uh, it's just How I. How do you feel about your mistake? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I love that he as a director is still challenging himself because this is yeah. not a traditional horror movie. No. It blends sci-fi, it blends drama. Uh it is kind of this larger than life jaws like yeah. uh blockbuster. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think I've ever seen an alien portrayed on the screen like that in such giant scope. I mean, yeah. I I've watched this since seeing it in theaters. I watched it too, yeah. Uh and I mean those later scenes play so much better in like a theater. Um, yeah. But 
I, I just love the moment-to-moment, the pacing, the characters. I think Daniel Kaluuya is phenomenal in sort of his quietness. Because I think that's a tough role to play. He is playing a... This is the quietest character he's, he's played. He's laconic. Well, yeah. Yeah, he is, but he is like... He sells so much of it on his face. Well, uh, I, and it almost it's I feel like there's a like a on the spectrum social awkwardness with him. Oh, very much. Like so. that that he needs mm. like in that opening scene where he's calling to his sister. Yeah. He's like he can't deal with these people. He deals with horses. Right. Right. And he's like he needs his sister to come deal with people. And speaking of his sister Kiki, Kiki Palmer, Palmer is, is so much fun. But I mean the guy that the get or who installs there, all the cameras. Their fries electronics guy. He was hilarious yeah. and then you bring in the gravelly voiced why am I blanking on his name? Stephen Oh, I, never, the, I can't remember his The name, weird cinematographer, cinematographer guy who... Yeah. yeah. He usually plays bad guys in movies. He does. Yeah, I mean, but that makes sense. for its largeness, it is a very quiet film because, I mean, it's a very contained film with like, yeah, it's, it's, just four or five cast members. Well, probably more than that. But, but yeah. It, it, compared to, like, Everywhere, Everything, All at Once, it has just sort of this expansive cast and Glass Onion, yeah. which has... I mean, mm-hmm. a little goes back to what you're saying. Yeah. Sometimes smaller casts and a little bit smaller stories yeah. play better. I just well, love that's actually what, to, just to, to briefly dip back to when we were again when we were talking about the secret invasion issue this week, the fact that it was pr- it's primarily this issue was a conversation between Maria Hill and, and Iron Man. I thought was a neat break yeah. from the earlier issues, which were you know had had sort of more of an ensemble vibe. Yeah. Although it's still told through those characters primarily. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, I do like the focus of a small cast at times. Um, I actually I need to see Nope again. I liked Nope, um, but I think it would still come in. A Little, maybe a little bit like third for me in the Jordan Peele Same. ratings. I, I put Get Out, and then Us just falls off from there, and Nope falls off. And from it's there funny because like UFOs, spooky UFOs, yeah, is like my thing. Alley. Yeah, but like the the weird doppelgangers of Us. Yeah, uh, I, that was just like I, I think I was more engrossed in that one, and yeah. just, and also it was maybe a little more actually scary. I want to yeah. preface the saying that. I don't think Peel has made a bad movie. Oh no, absolutely uh, not. I I just like that he's challenging himself and not doing the same thing again and again. That he's like growing as a director. I do think it's notable that Nope and Barbarian are both by basically guys who came up doing comedy. Yeah, because yeah. Barbarian's a guy who did the whitest kids you know. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, by the way, people should watch sketches by the whitest yes. kids you know on uh, on YouTube. Just go yeah. look up a few randomly, and yeah. they're surreal and fun. Kids Spe- in the Hall style. Specifically, look up what really happened to Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Can we talk um, about the animation that everyone should watch that people probably haven't even heard of? Well, let's talk about first about the only one that's on all three of our lists for first. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's Wakanda Forever. Okay, yeah. That's the last one that's on all three of our best mm-hmm. lists. And I think, um, I mean, Marvel's, their, their Phase 4 movies, I think, have not been as good. They've been entertaining, but they haven't been, like, super memorable. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, a lot of the focus went to their TV shows. Yeah. You know what's interesting is I've, I've you know, and I haven't thought a ton about this, but I know some people are like, you know, there, there is sort of a sense like, oh, did, did Marvel drop the ball? But, uh, like, I feel like this is almost like an expected, like, trough that had mm-hmm. to happen at some point. Yeah. It is, ex- like, that Marvel maintained so, you know, such a high level of quality for 20-plus films uh, you know, to to do that um, phase one stuff is kind of incomprehensible. Yeah, like yeah. that that happened. Like it's it's a it's, that is a miracle. Um, and so th- there would be a slowdown that wasn't like quite in that league that had maybe a few weaker ones. 
But like, like, still, like Shang Chi was a like really fun movie. Everything um, Shang Chi, Black Widow, those are all those are both really good movies. And admittedly, I did not like the multiverse one, but it wasn't without its moments. It's pretty one. watchable. Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yeah. I, I want to. Uh, I, I have my issues with Doctor Strange, but I wound up liking it. I like it. And Eternals is boring, but Eternals, even Eternals, has some stuff to offer. Yeah. And Thor: Love and Thunder. Thor: Love and Thunder is fine. I think Dave liked it better than both of us. I, I like it, uh, and I like its gags. Uh, right. Especially the goat gag, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so Wakanda Forever though um, was like you know had had basically a lot of baggage behind yeah. the scenes, yeah. um, but also like um, uh, any follow up to something as successful and as groundbreaking as Black Panther was going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, following it up after the loss of the star, the unexpected yeah. loss yeah. of the star, who was clearly about to be like one of the breakout people of all time. Yep. Uh, super sad, and the movie fo- went ahead and folded that into the story. Yeah, it became, it was basically, everybody got to go and attend the funeral for Black Panther. Yeah. Right. We all got to sort of mourn him together, which was yeah. very cool. This movie does a lot. Yeah. It has a lot on its shoulders, it and I feel like it... Like the movie Up, it wanted me to cry within the first five minutes, yeah. and, and, and I was and like, it, it congratulations. <laughs> uh, it has a lot to do, I think for the most part, it lands. Oh, their Namor is fantastic. Their Namor's for the their, their interpretation of Namor and Talakan is is better than anything Marvel's. I was gonna say better than anything Marvel's ever done with Atlantis. Yeah, I agree. And it's true. I, I do like. I think there's been lots of great scenes with classic Namor. Yeah. Um, but I think conceptually this is superior. Yeah, yeah this is a better read. I like the story arc of Shuri. I like where she ends up. I did too. Uh, I thought Angela Bassett's Queen. Uh, why am I blanking? The mo- the, Ramonda. Ramonda. Uh, I, is, I have I have a specific gripe about that, but I don't want to give it away in case you still haven't seen it. Yeah. I have I have a gripe about what they did in that movie, but yep. I understand why they did it. Um, she definitely got some real scenes to shine in. She though. did. She got to like, show off. Especially the opening. Obviously the opening. Also their take on Riri, Ironheart. Yeah. Really, really good. good. Um and what they did with uh, Nakia, I yeah. thought was also good. Basically they took Nick, they, I think you are correct in saying that like it's a movie where most things land. Yeah. And yeah. we can acknowledge that there's some weak points in it here and there. I think the, it ran a little long. It did. Yeah. Uh, there could have been some editing, but what to edit out, I have no idea. I also thought some of the stuff under the sea is a little dark, which, yeah. is, a, which is a shame because I wanted, I wanted to really well, see all this that is, stuff. This is hitting Disney Plus at the end of January. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm definitely, definitely going to rewatch it. it. I'm going to turn up my... <laughs> The levels yeah, of my levels, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. so I could kind of experience that a little bit more. But yeah, really good. A good way to close out Marvel Phase Four. Yeah, sure. yeah, with some neat and, reveals in the end. It's and got Stinger a few, is a few big Stinger's things. Good. In it. Yeah, Stinger's great. So uh, yeah, Nick, let's talk about the animated movie that you and I both loved, and that a lot of people probably haven't even heard of. So that is the Sea Beast. The Sea Beast, which is a Netflix. I was here when y'all talked about this, even, and I've already forgotten it too. <laughs> ne- it's through Netflix, so yeah. it's. Right there at your fingertips, just waiting yep. to press play. Uh, it is directed by the guy who did uh, Big Hero Six, yes, and a bunch of other stuff. He's yeah. like a really good pedigree. Yeah, and this is about sea pirates who hunt giant sea monsters. Giant monsters that used to threaten the 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 town. It is. It has been compared not unfairly to How to Train Your Dragon. Is it like in the same way that those guys were Vikings, these guys are pirates? But also like, like, like silly. But also not to give away the twist, although it's pretty much obvious yeah. that the beasts are more than just beasts. Yeah. Like, so I mean, the How to Train Your Dragon comparison is definitely apt. Uh, I think they both are about as good as each oh, other. This I, is really good, and the animation is even spectacular. This is, am I, 
this is through Netflix, yeah. so yeah. it's not like some major animation studio doing it. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's, I could be wrong on Carl that one. Urban is the Carl voice. Urban is the lead, in, and I forget who the girl is. I forget. She's too. great, but I mean, there's a. I mean, Jared Harris is in it. Yep. Uh, the voice cast is great. I, I think the characters are really well done. There's good camaraderie throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also a really good story yeah. and like some good like heartfelt moments that I felt like you got in classic Disney animation that have sort of this was a rough Pixar has done a little bit. I mean, there, there's like this year we got Turning Red, which I liked, which is on my top fifteen. I, I, I love Turning. I really like Turning Red, but I think CBS is notably better. I do too. And I watched Strange World. I need to watch that. And I wasn't super into it. I've seen a lot of people really liking it, but yeah. like. As I look at, I like, got the overall impression that people weren't. Super uh, and Lightyear that. came out this year, which again I liked Lightyear. And I will shout out one more animation: uh, the Bad Guys. I think oh, it's I a little uh, kind of lost, but it's a lot of fun. But I think Sea Beast was like it was the animation to beat this year. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think. Is there anything else that's on, that's on two lists? Uh, Confess Fletch. Confess Fletch, sort of, on, sort of on mine because I cheated. It. You cheated it. <laughs> uh, I mean, just I really want more of this. Yeah. I want more of John Hamm Fletch. I oh, one hundred percent. It's not. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but uh, as a good whodunit uh, story, focusing uh, with John Hamm being amazing. Yeah, uh, riding a Vespa through Italy. It's I mean, very, sure. It's very fun. It reminds me of what I liked about the books and the and the movies. Yeah. Um, Marsha Gay Harden gets to play an Marcia amazing Harden character. Uh, does this is this streaming anywhere, Nick? Do you know? It is on. Uh, I want to say Paramount. Okay. Uh, but it might also be on Hulu. I know it's I think it's on Hulu. Now. I know it's... So, Confess Fletch is definitely worth watching, especially if you like sort of Elmore leonard you know, crime, P.I. movies. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. If you like Midnight Run, which you should, because Midnight Run's There's great. There's a little bit of that in the... Then F- you can the, watch Confess Fletch. With the FBI agent in Confess... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what else is on our, both of our lists? I guess Violent Night did not make, did not quite hit your top No, 10. not quite. Violent Night went on my, so Violent Night is David Harbour playing Santa, actual, actual Santa Claus. Yep. And uh, he has to rescue a, uh, you You haven't seen this yet, right Dave? I mean, I've seen the trailer, so I feel like I have seen it. No, you have but not. But I have not seen You it. absolutely have not. Really? There's, uh, no. there's a little more to it. There's actually. more to it. Okay. Uh, basically a, uh, a, uh, a grumpy anti-Christmas uh, John Leguizan. No. He plays Scrooge. Leguizamo, yes. He, his name is he's, Scrooge. His name is Scrooge. <laughs> uh, he has a crew, and he's going to rob these rich people. Uh, the matriarch is Beverly D'Angelo, which I feel like is a Christmas vacation reference. Yes, it is. And uh, little girl thinks she is talking to Santa, and in fact she is, and Santa has to take down all these terrorists. And this is when a... When thing she's talking to him, is it through like some magic it's a walkie, spell or Her something? dad gives her a walkie-talkie, uh-huh. and it's like he's like... He's basically trying to make up for screwing up, and he's like, this lets you talk to Santa at any time. And then, she actually, actually, and then actually Santa is there. Right, right. Um, but Hard. yeah, it's, it's got, it's got, it's very violent. It's it, very it violent. is straight up action. It references Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Home Alone. Yep. It is a, it is a Christmas, it's a Christmas action movie for people who like Christmas. If you're one of those people, and I'm one of those people, who says Die Hard is a Christmas movie and I watch it every year, this goes right in that rotation slot, I feel like. I, I will say that, like Krampus, this has sort of a, a little bit of heart. Mm. It does. And, it and does. that is what Krampus saves it. is a little it. bleak, too, though. It's bleak, but it's also, it does at its core yeah, have yeah. Its, uh, a heart. Yeah, this, this has that, for and sure. I, I like the notion of a sort of disenfranchised Santa, yeah. <laughs> who's yep. annoyed with all yeah, the people. Tired of humanity. Well, tired yeah. of people wanting uh, mo- money, yeah. wants cash, yeah. and wants video games. Yeah. He's tired of that bullshit. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? That, that's that's a lot of stuff. That's I on. think Dave, do you do you and Nick have stuff that's on the same? We list? do. Oh, uh, Top, Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. Yep. Uh, 
it's one of those ones that I didn't race to the theaters. In fact, I watched it at home. Mm-hmm. You uh, never saw this in the theater? No, I didn't. I'm surprised it's that high. And arguably, I kind of well, I don't know that I raced to it, but I wanted to see it. Same. I mean, you based an entire was, uh, Star Wars RPG on It's true. It. Although that was after seeing it and also being mildly disappointed. Um, <laughs> they, it, it was because people had overhyped it. Yeah. They had sort of indicated to me that this was some sort of, like, oh, this does, this this is a new way to, like, like see sequels or whatever. It's like, it's so different from the first one, it might as well be a new I movie. Disagree and I was that. like... This is very much a rehash of familiar tropes. Very much. I it's mean, fun. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it is a basically greatest hits uh, DVD. It is. Uh, it is. But I will say, that's not a bad thing. Right. It, it, I just wish I had known it going in. Yeah. There's I, enough I think polish. I will actually enjoy it more on revisit than I did on the first time through. Um, and, and there's still lots of fun scenes. There's enough polish. I, I like uh, the Tom Cruise and uh, Goose's son... Uh, yeah, by dynamic Miles by Miles Teller, even though he's not a guy I really care for. Oh, uh, man, did you watch the? Did you did you see the um, thing about the making of the Godfather on Paramount Plus? No, you'll fall in love with Miles Teller. Okay, yeah, that's what you need to watch. That uh, uh, the, I forget what it's called, the operation, the proposal, whatever it is. I, th- I think it's the pro- well, it's something like yeah. That. Uh, and I also, I mean, you can't is it the offer. The, the offer. I'm going to make yes. him an offer he can't refuse. The so. offer, yes. Nick, you should watch The Offer, because okay. that, that turned me around on Miles Teller. Okay. And then I, then I saw this, and I liked him better in this because of it. Okay. Who's Miles Offer? Miles Teller is the guy who did, um, he played he played Goose's son. Goose's son, okay. And he played Reed Richards in that terrible Fantastic Four thing that Josh Trank made. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 basically uh, Maverick back in the saddle again because they need him to lead a mission. Yep. And well, train the people train, who are supposed train, to go. Train on people the mission. who are, yeah, who are supposed to go on this mission. And uh, some of the some of the most fun is when the basically he comes in as the experienced veteran and shows up the young Turks. Yeah. Well, yep. they they were able to weave in Val Kilmer in very well. Yeah, I thought they did a good job uh, with that. I yep. I really enjoyed John Hamm as the craggy. Uh, John Hamm's fun admiral. Yep. Uh, Trying to lead this mission. I liked all their new pilots. The new pilots were good. Yeah. Uh, the the actual physical shooting of the uh, the, the pilot, the pilot. The air, airplane stuff is great. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they thought this ranked high for you because as I having I haven't rewatched it yet. But when I saw it, a lot of what I thought was in the theater was like, wow, this is really cool spectacle. So I will tell you why it's high on my list. Nostalgia. Because okay. Top Gun played in my house uh, so okay. much. If you love Top Gun, yeah, this is a, this is a great single to Top Gun. Honestly, I feel like the one thing that this one gets right, yep. that the original doesn't, other than the, I feel like the volleyball scene is so much better than their stupid football scene. <laughs> uh, I will say that the relationship angle between Tom Cruise and Jennifer Connelly is so much better than the Kelly McGillis right. Tom Cruise. It yeah. actually makes sense. Well, because he's a more mature he's a more mature person at this point. Well, and, and, and Jennifer Connelly's a badass. Yeah, Jennifer <laughs> Connelly, great. Um, also, uh, like, yeah, this 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 for you is like would be when they when they make the Midnight Run Maverick sequel. Uh, that's how I will feel. About it. <laughs> uh, maybe so. <laughs> um, so I'm going to quick run down the other stuff on my list because I don't remember everybody else's list. So right. RRR uh, is an Indian movie which I've been hearing about. It kind of broke broke big in the mainstream it is a is based on a story of a couple of freedom fighters who helped overthrow the british in india but done as almost a like a marvel movie plus musical like it is big spectacle action yeah it's these two larger than life action heroes one is an undercover one is a cop who's going undercover trying to find the indian resistance and the other is a like native guy who is searching for a girl who uh who was taken from his tribe by the rich british 
and the two of them become friends without realizing that they're on opposite ends. This this cop is looking for his friend, but doesn't realize that's who he's looking for. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole thing of like them being best friends. He's trying to help the the the, uh, the native guy woo this girl who's one of the British, and uh, they they become buddies. They they bond over rescuing this girl uh, who has who is uh, who is there's an accident and they wind up bonding over this big action scene where they. Together they meet, their eyes lock, and they figure out what they need to do to save her. Like, it is crazy over the top. And Most there, people who seem to see this have a so almost visceral reaction to... Isn't, is it insane? The action the action stuff is nuts. There's a point where they, they attack the British mansion, and they come with, like, a truck full of, of jungle animals. <laughs> so it's just, also like, tigers like and lions coming at the end Three the and a half hour, like, It is epic. a three and a half hour long <laughs> epic movie. There are basically three movies in here, and I recommend watching this like a TV show. Watch the first hour, get to a point where you feel like a stopping point, stop. Watch the second hour the next night. Usually that doesn't stop me, but this one, that has stopped me. So because I, I watched this on the plane, it was yeah. a perfect plane ride. Yeah. Like, I got, I got a, a, a thing that kept me in, engaged the whole time. But I would recommend watching this in parts. But it's great fun. It's sort of my first, like, it's not Bollywood, it's something else similar. But, right. but I would definitely watch, I would definitely watch more of this. Yeah. Um, Weird, which is the Weird Al Yankovic oh. biopic. With uh, Daniel Radcliffe and uh, Evan Rachel Wood playing Madonna, um, is and uh, Rain Wilson playing Doctor Demento. It is basically mapping on all the uh, the biopic musical biopics onto Weird Al's story, which right. is like Weird Al is famously wholesome. His VH1 behind the music, like there was nothing to he never had a drug phase. Right. But in this one, they imagine what if he had, right. and this is basically Madonna comes in. He basically one of the gags that he, he's making original songs. So, like, Beat it, Eat It is actually an original song. And then when Michael Jackson does Beat It, he's very mad because now they're going to think all he does is a parody. Um, and uh, Yeah, that's a pretty ingenious And Madonna question. starts hooking up with him because she wants the Al Yankovic bump. <laughs> parodying one of your songs. And, uh, yeah, it's it's delightful. Radcliffe plays it. And there's also, um, the bad guy is um, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> so yeah, uh, very fun. Lots, good, of, lots of funny references. I'll definitely catch that. I it's love a, it's only on Roku, which kind of sucks. Yeah, like you have to have a Roku or the Roku channel to watch it. But it's great. Hopefully, it'll be available more widely soon. Um, and then the other thing for me is Prey, uh, the Predator yeah. revamp from Hulu, which I I just wound up really liking. It, it's like a period piece about a native uh, she woman. Comanche? Yeah, I feel like yeah. Uh, who who encounters a predator? This yeah. is just outside on my like. It I think it starts slow, but then by the end of it, I really liked it, and I, and I think I, I think going back in it again, I'll, I'll like it more. It's the best predator since predator. Since predator, I agree. Although I have fondness for some of the others, but sure. Uh, Nick, what else is on your list that we haven't talked about? I uh, I think one that is not on Dave's list and one that is. So the one that is not is the menu. Uh, start streaming today on HBO Max. Definitely going to watch that. Uh, Rafe Fines and John Leguizamo and Man, Leguizamo uh, had a good year. Yeah, he did. If I and he deserves it. He's he's always been he's always been like really good, yep. just no matter what. Yep. But he, he's, it's rare that he gets to, like sort of a lot of screen but, uh, like stardom. But this movie attacks the one percent and the people who. Uh, Love food so much, so it kind of spoke it is staged to <laughs> as a as a big gourmet dinner well, by like, like a, some sort of master chef type person at a very prestigious restaurant that is on an island, right? Uh, and like it's a big to do. Everybody dresses up. 
I even only going. I'm only going based on the trailer, but somebody said it's like, oh yeah, they uh, his his meal always his meals always have themes or a story to them or yeah. whatever. And it's like you you try and uh, while you're eating, you try and figure out what he's trying to say or whatever. So so there's there's kind of like a notion that he that a narrative will be spun. And then I saw that maybe there's violence and strange things happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that about covers the the plot. I've, it heard, doesn't... I've heard so much good on it that I know I know I want to see it. I'm not super excited to see it. Um, like the trailers didn't wow me, but uh, I believe what people are saying. I don't think it reinvents the wheel or anything because we've seen plenty of movies about. Uh, I have the, not seen any movie about the murders. At, no, I have not seen comeuppance. I guess so. I, I guess I haven't seen any movies. I think uh, wins in this fashion. In, in this fashion, yeah. Uh, but. Uh, it's, like I said, streaming on HBO starting today, I believe, uh, definitely uh, worth uh, checking out. Uh, mm. And then the other one that's on my list that I think was low on your list, but still is the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yep. Uh, which is the uh, Pedro Pascal and uh, Nicolas Cage buddy. Uh, Nicolas Cage as himself. As himself. Go a slightly heightened version, I guess I'd say. A slightly heightened version maybe of maybe not that much. Who Pedro Pascal's character hires to right. come for his birthday. I believe... With an ulterior like, motive, real, like, uh, uh, pimping out a story that he is concocting and writing. Right. Because he wants him to star in it. <laughs> I believe that, like the real Nicolas Cage, he's in some money trouble. Yes. And may, maybe, like, owes some taxes or something like that. There's and some... And so, much like, you know, they have those cameo phone calls... This is like the extreme version of that. Drop in for the party of somebody who... Does Neil turns, Patrick Harris play his... Uh, his buddy. Well, probably his himself? agent. His or, agent. Okay, he, he is not playing his... Oh, maybe... He, I think he's supposed to be Neil Patrick Harris. Is he supposed to be? They're like okay. hanging out at the sauna or something. Yeah, right? okay. I can't... I think he's actually supposed to be that. Um, and, and anyway, so yeah. And so he ends up doing this... Um, doing a uh, in-person hangout with, uh, with a guy who's a drug dealer. Yep. Um, well... There's twists there, and turns. There's twists and turns, but yes, it'd be like, you know, it'd be like, oh, I'm going to go be buddies with uh, Pablo Escobar for the weekend. But this is kind of very much like a buddy cop feel. It is. Uh, Tango Cash. <laughs> but there is some heart to it. There is. Um, I was surprised. That I knew I was going to like it because I like the leads. Nicolas Cage is dumb, but he's a lot of fun uh, when he wants to be. Sometimes he makes really shitty movies. Yeah, he does. Uh, he really does. And uh, Pedro Pascal is the new uh, Space Daddy. <laughs> yeah. He's great in it. He's amazing. Um, yeah. I don't know if he's actually made something bad. Uh, nothing that I can think of. Uh, um but this was just fun, but there is quite a bit of action, and there are so many Nicolas Cage jokes that uh, of, like, his movie oeuvre. Yeah. Uh, the this, the this Wax one was, Museum thing. This one crack. was in the trailer, and that's what I was going to mention. Um, uh, so Pedro Pascal shows him, like, in his, like, his Nick, Nicolas Cage memorabilia man cave kind of yes. thing. He's got, uh, like, uh, He's wax... He's got a wax dummy of Castor Troy. Wax dummy of Castor Troy of, <laughs> I'm gonna say, dubious quality. Yes. Dubious sculpt. But, and Nicolas Cage looks at it... But he does have the guns. And, and he's, he's got the guns. And Nicolas Cage looks at it in, like, this mixture of, like, kind of, like, <laughs> awe and disgust. And he's like... It's hideous. What does he say? I'll give you $10,000 yes. for it. Yeah, that's in the trailer, and I remember it. Yeah. It's such uh. a good one. And there's so many more things like that. 
I think this is also streaming on Hulu or somewhere. It's streaming, and I need to watch it. it yeah. It, I think you'll. I actually do think you'll like it, yeah. even though I know you're not a huge Nicolas Cage fan. I watched a lot of Nicolas Cage, <laughs> sir. I mean, than... you did because you were made to. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that's seen, right. You've I've seen, seen it through Nicolas your Cage podcast. You've never even heard of. That's man. true. This is actually one of his <laughs> better ones. Yeah. I don't think it's like uh, face off rock levels, just because that's kind of like yeah, that's pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pinnacle Nick Cage. Yeah. Uh, with maybe raising Arizona being a higher peak. Yeah, definitely is a higher <laughs> peak right. than anything. Michael anything Michael. else, Dave? Did you did we get the rest of Nick's? Uh, my my stuff is uh, my stuff is like I, this was not a big year for movies for me. So my other ones there are things that I'm not super enthused about, like Batman and Thor and stuff yeah. like that. Right, and so I'm enough. like they're okay, but I, I don't I don't have those. anything to say about them. All right, <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, I wanted to talk about Midnight Suns, the video game. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been wanting to play this uh, forever, um, but it's only because I'm playing some other game, another game right now that that I'll I'll get around to it. I haven't picked up a video game in a while. This one, uh, friends have been talking about it, and finally I decided to go ahead and pick it up after Christmas, uh, playing it on Steam, and I'm really liking it so far. It is a... It's by the guys who make XCOM. It's Firaxis Software. Right. Uh, and, and XCOM, for, for people who don't know, because it was a little, un- it's been a little under the radar, this is a turn-based game where you fight an alien invasion on Earth. Turn-based is pretty unusual. There's not many games that do it. You know, usually they do, like, especially since the rise of real-time strategy games, real-time games have definitely been more of the thing. But this one is one where it's like, you will... Uh, move around your special ops team in XCOM, you would choose a stance, like, you know, uh, get, get your guys in position, outflank the enemies. Like, it, it was it was a neat but fast-paced tactical game. Yeah. This game is from the same team, but, like, changes things up, I believe, Randy, by... You, you essentially, like in the board game Memoir 44, get cards. So the way this works is the, the game is based on a uh, Hydra, Dr. Faustus and Hydra, yep. have revived uh, Lilith, the mother of monsters. Yep. And now they're like they're like supernaturally charged, and they're trying to like basically bring about the end of the world or whatever whatever they're her thing. Her uh, child, either son or daughter, because it's your it's your protagonist. Right, you get to it. create that that yeah. character kind of like with a like you actually design how they yeah, act. Yeah, like a Mass Effect or any other character yeah. builder. Uh, it's called the Hunter, and killed her and then died him him themselves uh, like three centuries ago. Yep. So now that that she is revived. Uh, the Midnight Suns with the caretaker who is a, who is the sister of Lilith. Yep. Um, she revives the the hunter, and the hunters working alongside the Midnight Suns. They're at this abbey that used to be in um, I forget exactly where it was, but now it's in Salem, Massachusetts. They've moved it. Right. So you're operating this sort of like this this compound, and uh, your your Midnight, Midnight Suns, Suns are like the supernatural Marvel people. They're they're supernatural. The event the Avengers are supernatural basically. Right. So it's like you've got Blade, Magic, uh, Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider. And Doctor uh, Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange. Those are the main Midnight Suns, and, and then, then some regular Marvel people. Wolverine, in the opening right? of the story, I'm telling the story. <laughs> in the opening of the of the the thing, uh, Iron Man and Captain Marvel happen upon uh, the the supernatural Hydra and mm-hmm. go to the Midnight Suns, and then they basically move into the mansion. So you've got this mix of right. oh, and I forgot Niku Niku Monoro, um, Oh, from Runaways. Sister Grimm from the Runaways. Yep. Um, so basically, you've got a little bit of tension between the Midnight Suns and the Avengers. And uh, there's kind of a fun running story about like Blade and Captain Marvel. Maybe like Blade has a crush on Captain Marvel mm-hmm. and does not know how to do know how to deal with these feelings. <laughs> so he basically keeps telling Hunter about how impressive a woman she is, and Hunter keeps telling him, "Dude, you like her." <laughs> uh, but there's fun stuff like that throughout. Um, in addition to all this character stuff, which is like Mass Effect, and these like dialogue trees and that kind of stuff, you go on missions, and when you go on missions, 
you have you take three characters with you, and each character has a card deck that gives you abilities. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing in these battles is you are you'll have a you'll have a handful of cards that come up. I think it's like nine cards, and then they have point costs. And so you're basically playing cards to make your characters move around the board and attack the bad guys. And then after they get a turn, the bad guys get a turn, just mm-hmm. like an XCOM style. There's like combos and stuff that you can play and figure out like characters that work well together. Yep. As you go stuff. on, as you there's also as you do the role playing stuff, you build up friendship levels. Right, you might be like, I'm going to go hang out with Blade today, or and Wolverine, so or whatever. Every day, you get one training session that you get to do with one of the characters, that will increase your friendship, and then you get one hangout session where you choose okay. an activity that's either like watching a movie, or having some drinks, or going to the pool. Each character, and there's all kinds of like buying skins and that kind of stuff for them too, each character has at least two different bathing suits <laughs> that you can like spend your, your points as you, as you win. It's called what they call it, gloss. If <laughs> you're playing hilarious. at a higher difficult level, so basically, when you bathing finish missions, suits. You get gloss. Do they go to the pool that often? They go to the pool often enough. They all have bathing suits. All right. And then uh, you have a combat ability. You have a combat min- um, costume, which there's different costumes for that. And then you have your your uh, uh, your civilian clothes. And what's kind of fun is you can set your civilian clothes to change every day, so it just randomly goes through whatever costumes you've bought. And you can also set it to where, like, if you don't like any of their civilian clothes, they can just wear their combat ability all around. So, like, what they look like is is, is very flexible. Mm, that's and cool. it's fun. And amongst that, they've got the Forge, which is, like, Tony Stark has, like, a techno-magical thing set up in here where he can build you devices. They've got training where you like can... Like upgrades where, and stuff. Yep. So you get you get equipment upgrades. You get, like, like I say, teamwork upgrades. You get... Um, the, you start learning more abilities and that kind of stuff. There's a There's a, like... The ghost of Agatha Harkness is like guiding you. Like nobody else knows she's alive, but you you know she's still a ghost, and so right. she's guiding you through all these mystical There's rituals. An evil Agna, Agatha Harkness from the WandaVision. This seems like to be good Agatha Harkness, right? Which is closer to how she was in the Marvel yeah. comics. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun so far. The I don't want to give too much away, but I'm I'm only maybe you know a few sessions into it. The uh, the big bad that they introduced in the first is a a magic up Venom. Yep, it's like Venom with like. I've magic. watched my brother play a little bit of this, and so I've seen a bit. Um, and and the Venom stuff, even though I think we're not Venom fans, is like he works He's pretty cool in this, cool in this scenario. Yeah. And he is like yeah, magicked up and stuff. And and uh, Scarlet Witch is trapped inside the. She is in this Doctor Strange's Apprentice, mm-hmm. and she's like a not quite trusted by the Midnight Sun. She was like expelled from the Midnight Suns, mm-hmm. and she is trapped inside the Sanctum Sanctorum. And so like magic. And Nico are like trying to get her out. There's a little bit of generational conflict where the two of them are like, "Why aren't we doing something to help Wanda? You know, why are these Avengers here?" Uh, there's a bit. Spider-Man comes into your team, and uh, Spider-Man and Robbie Reyes set up a, a shop where you can build stuff too. Like they keep adding you know, stuff on. What I kind of like about this is, I mean, it's the same thing I liked about XCOM, which is I, I suspect I would like the turn-based combat with the cards and stuff and the the the, the mechanics that. Mm-hmm. And then it sounds like the back the, the downtime backstory stuff where you train and meet and hang out sounds like fun too, but in particular, this is not like you know I think like usually if you play an Avengers game you're like oh we're gonna go fight Ultron if you play a Spider Man game you're gonna go up against his normal guys yeah. this is a kind of unusual story yeah. in the sense that it's Marvel's magic universe which doesn't get a lot of game time uh, usually it might be like a level sometimes in places yeah and and then it's like but like still mixing in some regular Marvel characters too it's just kind of an unusually specific thing which I think is sounds like to its to its advantage yeah and there's the mystery of it builds better because like I don't know what they're doing I, yeah. this is not a oh I've seen this story before right this they're is, obviously this, trying to get the infinity gems yeah. or whatever this is something different also I like they mix in Marvel continuity and MCU continuity mm. like there's definitely some stuff where I'm like oh that's an MCU thing 
But then the Marvel continuity will be like when Nico's talking about the Runaways. Like you talked to her about what the Runaways were, right? And it is straight up not the Hulu Runaways. It's the Runaways from the comics. Brian Vons, yeah, yeah. So it's, there's there's a lot of like, oh, these guys definitely did their homework, and this all feels like the Marvel universe. That's cool. Uh, all right, Dave, you've been you've been watching uh, Black Sails. Yeah, yeah. I was in a for for various reasons. I was a little bit of a pirate mood, and I I was like. I wondered if there was any... This, this show is like, I don't know, a decade old? Maybe even a little older? Something like that. Um, uh, and I was wondering if there was any TV shows that were that were like pirate shows that were not just... I just didn't want another Pirates of the Caribbean round. Dave, what, um, what put you in pirate mode? Do you remember? Yes. It was the... Uh, I, had, I, watched a, right. I had watched a character creation session for the game Morkboard, right. which is a the like heavy metal D&D game. And those guys were putting out on Kickstarter Pirate Borg. They're kind of like... Dark metal pirate uh, pirate game RPG. Right. You were telling me the character you created for that was it just sounded badass. It, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I so I, I and I ended up kickstarting that like doing the late kickstart and and I got the PDF of it. it like it actually, I don't I don't have a print copy yet because I don't think they've gone out. But um, uh, but I had a lot of fun with that and that put me in the mood to like check out some other sort of related stuff. And I was like, man, I just there does not it, all pirate stuff seems to be kind of like light swashbuckler stuff. And I was looking for something that maybe just went a little deeper into realism or something. Came across Black Flags um, and Black Sails. Uh, Black Sails. That's right. Black Flag is the uh, Assassin's Creed game. <laughs> uh, anyway, the um, Black Sails uh, ran for, on Stars for about four years. Uh, guessing they actually got a, quite a bit of story done uh, based on what I've seen of this. If you have by chance ever seen Spartacus, <laughs> uh, it has something in common with their, and I don't mean the movie Spartacus, I mean the TV show Spartacus. Isn't it some of the same people? I think so. Um, I, I, and in fact, it, it was a little bit late I realized, oh yeah, one of the actors on it I'm, I'm sure was in Spartacus. Um, God, was he the lead in Spartacus? I don't know, I'm looking up now, because I, I feel like this was... I feel like the... Randy, look up the actor who played Billy who plays Billy Bones on uh, well, Black Well, he's the guy Sales. who plays in Umbrella Academy. He plays the, the guy who gets turned into an ape. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, yeah. The what? The guy that gets turned into... Luther. Like, Luther. Okay. Uh, let's see, he also was in Northman. He is... I'm looking for, I'm looking for him to see. He's a big guy. Yep. Um, he was in uh, Game of Thrones. What were we looking for? I don't know. You said the other thing. Oh, um... Uh, Spartacus. Yeah. I'm having trouble finding him in Spartacus. Anyway. Alright. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, the, um, um, anyway, um, so, Black Sails, uh, is, uh, the reason I brought up Spartacus was to say, this is a trashy show. It is a show that has nudity and, uh, trashy topics and swearing. It is also well-written and, uh, has a, a really kind of cool hook to it. Which I didn't realize um, that it is a prequel of sorts to the book uh, Treasure Island, uh, which people probably most famously know from the Disney movie Treasure Island, mm-hmm. um, and uh, where you know a young kid gets involved with uh, a search to find treasure uh, and and meets the pirate Long John Silver, who at that point is like the he, he became through Disney's version the quintessential pirate. He did the R kind of thing, <laughs> and he was both like kind of like uh, a sleazy dude, but also also, a little bit of a heart of gold. He at least kind of thought, "Oh, hey, this kid is a decent kid, and I, you know, I don't want to kill him. I just want that treasure." Well, so this is that character, uh, John, when he Long John Silver, when he was a young and uh, arguably sexy uh, young pirate named John Silver. Uh, actually, he's not even a pirate in the, in the opening scene. He, uh, the ship uh, commanded by Captain Flint, whose pirate map will be the heart uh, at the heart of Treasure Island. 
he takes over a ship in the opening uh, scene of Black Sails, and uh, he's like, hey, people who are, who are around here, you should join us. I don't think it's actually like, join us or you're going into the water and die, because there, there is a little bit of realism to this, and, and they've clearly done a lot of research on real pirates, and pirates didn't just literally kill every single person that they met. Uh, they'd sometimes offer them, you know, a chance to join them, and then they would, uh, uh, they, uh, uh, otherwise maroon them on an island or, like, drop them off at, like, port or whatever. Anyway, John Silver, uh, joins them, uh, pretends he's the cook, when in fact he has, uh, killed the cook who he was holed up with in the ship, hiding in the hold down below while the pirate stuff was going on below. The cook, it turns out, was a guy who had torn a page from a journal which has a very important ship route on it for, like, a huge treasure haul. This is a big Spanish galleon that's going to have, like, uh, for various reasons, it's had to set sail without a full armada escort. And so this page with, uh, like, dates and locations uh, is incredibly important. And he and John Silver get in a fight in the hold, and when the pirates break in and say... Uh, you know, you're all, you're you're captured. Uh, only John Silver is alive, and he has the note, and nobody knows it. And um, that it, it turns out that note is actually, or that torn page is actually, the reason why they t- went after this ship. Um, at the heart of this show is uh, John Silver conniving his way onto this crew um, and convincing him to take him along on the on the treasure hunt. Uh, the um, what was I going to say? Um, it's early on. They go to uh, Nassau, I think, and to the the I think the town of New Providence, which is the setting for like the first three or so episodes. I'm only about four episodes in. They're about an hour long each, and they um, are setting up the journey. And it has a lot of moving parts in it. So Flint, the captain of the ship, is super super interesting character. He is a slightly intellectual guy. Not really well liked by the crew. In fact, there's a power struggle going on when John Silver joins where somebody who's a more aggressive pirate and wants to take down more ships, uh, which, uh, which Flint hasn't been doing because he's secretly pursuing information on this big haul. Um, but it's, it's, he's lost popularity with the crew and, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, he, he, there was going to be like a vote, which pirates actually did that stuff. You could be outvoted for being captain. And uh, that first episode is actually about them trying to... It's like... it's I'm going to say West Wing Pirates is the first episode. <laughs> because they're trying to, by any means necessary, make sure that they've got the votes to that Flint survives this uh, crisis of faith among his own pirates. John Silver ends up playing a role in it because he's got the, uh, he's got the page everyone's looking for. Among other people in it, uh, there's a woman who... Uh, helps uh, basically fence the goods on Nassau, who's got a lot of power and her dad is like, kind of runs the island and he's got a lot of power too. Uh, There's a prostitute that John Silver meets who she is offering to fence the information for him but it's when they don't know exactly what it is. As that deepens, everybody gets in trouble. Uh, There are rival pirates, including the real life pirate, uh, I can't remember his name, it's like William Vane or something like that, Mm. who was a guy who famously flaunted the pirate code and would like kill indiscriminately. He's like the scary guy on the show, but also has some depth to him. That the interesting thing is like any given scene has more there's sort of more politicking and character work than you would expect on a show that also has incredibly dirty jokes yeah. and I was gonna uh, say I know that they were known for sort of nudity and violence and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. American and Gods did that too when they did got when they did that. For sure, for sure. So it's like kind of like it's a trashy show. 
but like as you're watching it, you're like, this is a much more interesting take on pirates than anything I've seen in a while. Um, <laughs> so this, as I look at one of the guys who's like the Robert Levine, who seems to be the sort of the leading guy on this. Um, he's done a bunch of TV. He started out working on Judging Amy, mm-hmm. uh, but he worked on Jericho. He did a couple episodes of Jericho. Okay. Uh, he seems like he was executive. Jericho was a good show. He was the showrunner of Human Target, that show that I guess a lot of people really liked. Yep. Uh, he did so that based on the DC comic. Short-lived Kiefer Sutherland show Touch. Yep, I remember that. And then he went to Black Sails, and then after Black Sails, he did C with Jason Momoa on Apple TV. Yep. So, and The Old Man at FX. So there's uh, there's some notable people behind this. And then Jonathan Steinberg is, I guess, his partner, and he's worked on a bunch of things. I swear I thought that the... Um, I, I really thought that, that the, the Spartacus people were involved. Maybe not quite as deeply as I thought. Um, I, I, may, I mean, I know it comes from Stars, which is the same place, and uh, that I recognized, if, I thought there was a few people from Spartacus, but Spartacus also, like, changed its lead at one point because the lead guy got cancer and died. Um, right. And yeah, it's different writers and everything. Stephen S. Knight created uh, Spartacus, and he's okay. the guy who's a Buffy guy. Um, anyway. But, yeah, it's certainly, I would say the vibe is the same. Spartacus, I, I think... It was broadly the the sort of trashier show because there's just more naked gladiators in it. Sure, um, <laughs> and, but this uh, has naked pirates. Does have naked pirates? There's uh, uh, John Silver is uh, taken in by like five women in the uh, first episode, <laughs> um, and um, there's a uh, but there's like a uh, I'm going to say male gazy uh, gratuitous lesbian relationship uh, sure. early on. But it is also ultimately that plays out as deeper than you think, and it's like the same as there was there were there was a gay some at least one notable gay relationship on Spartacus, which was also deeper than you'd think. Huh. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but um, anyway, I've been having a lot of fun with it. Um, I, I never know where it's going. The characters are all kind of interesting, and they're all pretty smart. Like Flint is interesting. The quartermaster of two different ships, you sort of see them as like sort of the power behind the throne. Like, yeah, the captain of the ship is big, but if the quartermaster isn't constantly wheeling and dealing, like, you know, again, to go West Wing, if you don't have a good chief of staff who is, like, running your ship, then it's going to fall into disarray. Um, I was looking to see how many, if they tell how many episodes there's anywhere on MDB, and they don't. But yeah, four, I mean, that seems like that's a, that's a lot of... It ran 38 episodes. Oh, 38 yeah. episodes. Okay, all right. Yeah, I know it did four how seasons. Far, how I far just would you say you're into it, Dave? I'm like halfway through season one, which is like 10 episodes or okay, something like that. Right. So, uh, Anyway, uh, obviously there's a very specific thing to how where my headspace is right now, but um, if... Uh, I like Dirty Pirates. Uh, you know, it's not it's not that dirty. I actually think it has a great story at times. Like, and the characters are much better than you think. Billy Bones, who is the first mate of the crew, is a kind of a slightly doofus guy, but he's smart and liked by the crew, and he ends up being like kind of wilier than anybody else. That's a character who will end up showing up in Treasure Island. Um, and I have no idea if he connects well with his character as depicted in that. But he is a, he's an interesting one to watch. Like, even the character who just seems like a little bit one-note at first ends up being kind of deeper than you'd expect. So, so while you've been watching Dirty Pirates, mm-hmm. I've been watching a very wholesome show on Disney+. Plus. Yes. And that show is National Treasure Edge of History. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm three episodes into this. I think there's like four or five out. Um, we all, we've all we talked at length on this podcast yeah. about our fondness for National Treasure. Yep. Um, the Disney Plus show, I was... I almost didn't watch it. I, I, I was like, it wasn't quite going to grab me. Um, they re-envisioned it. So 
the only continuing character so far, I know that what's his name, the uh, computer hacker guy, will show up at some point. Yes. But the only continuing character is Harvey Keitel's FBI agent Sandusky. Yes. Sandusky. I don't remember him from the National Treasure movies. I don't remember them as well. He was like a foil who became a friend, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, a little bit. So this story focuses on. It starts off. The, the hook of this, you know, usually it's like the Declaration, the Macklin yeah. Declaration of Independence, whatever. The hook of this is Secret Montezuma's Treasure. Okay. Hidden from the Conquistadors by a network of indigenous women. All right. So they're definitely going in a, like, I hate to say it, a more woke direction. <laughs> the lead is a is a, uh, a, a, a DACA recipient, a girl who is basically, she's a dreamer. She's, she's here, and she is very smart. She can see patterns that other people don't see. Okay. Um, she works at like a storage place, and uh, her dad disappeared when she was very young. We see we see the, the opening of her dad and her mom, and her dad had some kind of medallion that seems to be like maybe tied to these indigenous women, and so she has the medallion from her dad that is like a, a cipher of sorts. Mm-hmm. And somehow I don't remember how because the first couple of episodes are kind of a blur to me. She and her her like best friend who just broke up with her boyfriend, and now they're like friends, and he's kind of a doofus, and he hunts, he's a sneaker lover. Uh, like, he's always going out of, like, sneaker sales and that kind of thing. Sure. And thing. then uh, her, like, best friend, guy friend, who, like, they have a... They're clearly supposed to be together, but they they don't date or something like that. So there's a lot of, like, early 20-something CW-type relationship stuff in this. Yeah. I was put off by almost all of it. <laughs> um, and, and I'm like, they're all fine. It's very, you know, Disney Central casting is very... They're all very... Uh, you know, photogenic. Yeah, from the trailers, that's what turned me off. So, this is all about that, and she's got this thing, and she basically winds up by some circumstance talking to Sadusky, who is now like living in retirement in his mansion, and uh, he's not with the FBI anymore. And he tells her about mansion. I don't know. I don't. He's a brownstone or whatever it is. I okay. Know. Okay. Yeah, it's not enough. like a mansion. Mansion. He's like he's it's also, like a nice brownstone. In he the was mansions. also a member of the. He's well, a member of the Masons, right? Yeah, right. They're they're so secret. He, the big secret society. This, he tells this Freemason thing, and then like he gets killed. Okay. And his grandson is this would-be musician mm-hmm. um, who now has like a family familial claim to his the house, which clearly has some secrets in it, and uh, hunting down. All of this is a a, a blondened, um, God, what's her name? Uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah. Oh, she's playing sort of a. I forgot she was in it. She is a. She turns out she's a queen of cryptocurrency, <laughs> and a, a like a a uh, archaeologist or a treasure hunter. You know, uh, Tia Carrere's character in True Lies. Yeah, I feel like she's that. Okay. Um, and she's the big bad. She's got a little team. And they uh, they basically kidnap the sneaker lover kid and try to get the the the, the thing from um, the lead character who she's gotten from this that she got from Sandusky. Okay. And basically, the first two episodes are all moving these people into place so that what you wind up is is two rival teams, which is the National Treasure uh, formula. Right. You've got um, Catherine Zeta Jones and her team, and they all seem to like her team is not just bad guys; they're all bad guys. They're totally willing to kill and kidnap these kids, mm-hmm. but. They all like each other. Like one of them has a has an accident, and they all they they're very sad about it. Like they're they're the bad, all you're the saying bad guys. the bad guys. Okay, the bad so they have some honor among thieves for themselves. Yes, at least. Exactly amongst, them, amongst themselves. Even though she has clearly been to be ruthless. Yeah, but she's she's doing a lot of the heavy lifting here. Because Catherine Zeta Jones is a very likable bad guy. You remember the first time I saw her in the Phantom? Like yeah. The first time I saw her, how, how charming she was. Yeah. Theoretically, if I'd seen the Phantom, you've yes. never seen her in the Phantom. Oh, okay. No. 
So you know how charming she was in the film. I do. So this is very much her in that sort of that, that villain mode. I think Tia Carrera in, in True Lies is another comparison. It's like yeah. very charming. She was a fun villain to watch. Yes. Yeah. The problem is I'm way more interested in her than the leads. Uh, because they are just a bunch of Scooby-Doo gang kids. Right. And I don't care about them at all. And they're trying to give them all those little individual things. Like the, the one guy's a musician. He wants he wants to be a musician. Uh, the one guy's kind of a doofus. He's clearly he's supposed to be like the Xander of the group. Right. But I just don't care about most of them. However, they spend two episodes getting the status quo going, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this. But because I do a TV podcast, yep. I occasionally press play, a la Nick. And I was like, well, I'll watch another episode before I give up on this entirely, before I you know talk about it on the podcast and never watch any more of it. Yep. The third episode, they discover that uh, there's a clue, and, and they've, they've gotten there at the Sandusky's room, and there's a clue that re- re- references the Sun King, and... Uh, the Dove of Peace, and they go back, and I don't know if this is true or not, they invented it, but basically, uh, Elvis is like Cherokee, or part Cherokee, <laughs> and also was a Freemason. When he's shaking Nixon's hand, he's given the Freemason symbol. Sure, uh-huh. sure. And so, they reveal, basically, that Elvis's guitar had a, has a clue to what they need. So they have to break into the secret Elvis room at Graceland to get his guitar to find a, uh, to find a, a clue. That's very on And I'm like, that was very... And, and the way they do it, I like they fake they fake that there are moths about to eat the costumes and then they pretend to be exterminators while the real exterminators are going to show up and they go into this room and take pictures of the guitar. I mean that's a good it's, that is a good premise for a national treasure story. That is what got, finally got me. I'm like okay uh, that that was super super fun and so if it goes from there they may win me over. It, it's a slow going two episodes. I feel like if there was a national treasure RPG, yes, you would uh, want it to the, like in a given like ultimately there needs to be a sort of a heist. Yeah, and and in the end and and like the I think the uh, the point of uh, like like planning the planning the heist uh, should be brisk, but it like should involve you have to have like kind of a wild idea. Yeah, like uh, actually just sneaking in and getting something not fun. No, uh, having to impersonate people that's fun. Yeah, having to wear uh, made up disguises as exterminators. So that you can go into the secret room and steal Elvis's guitar, that is National Treasure. Yeah. And so going forward, it's going to be whether they're doing this first couple episodes of like overly serious setting up all these characters, or whether they're going to have more fun with it, whether or not I keep with the show. <laughs> but the third episode did win me over, and I would recommend if you like the National Treasure movies, stick it out a little bit. Give, and see give it, you... give it the three episodes and, and see if it if it wins you over. Yeah. All um, right. All right. Uh, that is all we have this week. Uh, we will be back next week with more. And until that time. Yo, Joe. Roguecast is a weekly podcast broadcast from Rogue's Gallery Comics and Games in Round Rock, Texas. You can find us online on Facebook and at www.roguesgallerytx.com and email us comments or questions at roguesgallerytx at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. 